For me, in terms of the mindset stuff, I like the point where you're not wanting to go any further. Like when you get to that point of, you know, this is really hard, This I'm really starting to struggle here, I find that's where my race starts. Like that's where my enjoyment really peaks because you have to push through and you have to find a way just to continue on. And then when it gets really, really hard, I'm like, yep, that's that's a right. sweet spot for me. Yeah. I think the difference between people who are successful and people will be like, well, what does it take? And it's not just the training, but I'm like, you just, you've got to be grateful. I mean, you have to focus on the fact that this is an opportunity and it's a privilege Mm. and the fact that you're here and you're able to do this and you're motivated enough and people care enough about you, like you're, it's, it's a privilege. So don't be out there whining and complaining with a bad attitude because you're not going to make it. That's Mel Yuri and Danny Grayball. And this is the Ritual Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, people, what's the word? How you doing? What's good? This is Rich Roll, your host, my podcast. Welcome home. So for those of you who know my story, you know that back in 2010, uh, my buddy Jason Lester from my Ultraman days enlisted me in this harebrained scheme that he had to complete five Ironmans on five Hawaiian islands in just five days. Uh, It's a fit of insanity that he dubbed Epic Five. And if you read my book, Finding Ultra, you know that although it took us a beat longer than five days, we did successfully complete this challenge. But what you might not know is that Epic Five has gone on to become institutionalized. In fact, every year since Jason and I made our first attempt, Rebecca Morgan, who took over Epic Five from Jason a few years ago, takes a handful of athletes through what I endured. And every year, competitors from all over the world complete it in the allotted five days, uh, including three women who have done it over the years, which is just amazing. I love seeing uh, people break these barriers and just take everything to the next level. And today, I'm super excited because two of these three intrepid women Join me for the podcast, Danielle Grable and Melissa Yuri, or just Danny and Mel as they go by, uh, are here to share their experience on the cutting edge of ultra endurance. But first. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, And it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own N.A. beer company, Go Brewing. 
I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia. And he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, waking up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. 
I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful. And recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Okay, let's see, Danny and Mel. So Danny's story is really quite similar to mine. About 15 years ago, she was a junk food junkie pushing the scales at about 200 pounds. She lost her breath while walking up a flight of stairs. Sounds familiar. And it hit her like a ton of bricks that it was time to make some serious life changes, especially after she endured this routine physical, which prompted kind of an ultimatum from her doctor. He basically said, get your act together and lose weight or prepare yourself for a pretty bleak future. And I'm going to let her explain how she got from that point to becoming the youngest two-person female team to finish RAM, the Race Across America bike race. And in 2016, how she became the first female to compete in and finish Epic Five, the first female to do it, which is incredible. And that's a story that she tells in her book, which is called Fear No Distance. Mel, on the other hand, uh, has a little bit of a different story. She's a mental health nurse from Melbourne, Australia. She grew up active, but was never really competitive. And yet in 2017, she becomes the second woman ever to complete the Epic Five Challenge. So the first two women to ever do this thing are here today. Uh, Mel has also completed six Ironmans as well as Ultraman Canada and Ultraman Australia. And at the time of recording this interview, which was way back in mid-November, she was in the midst of getting ready to compete at the Ironman World Championships in Kona. And unfortunately, she didn't finish that race. Uh, and I'm going to admit that I'm not quite certain why. I was just checking the results a few minutes ago. And it appears something happened on the day two bike, but I just don't know right now as I'm recording this. So I'm going to try to find out more and uh, I'll report back to you guys. In any event, basically, these are two incredibly badass women who know how to get it done. And this conversation is basically about how they did it. It's about putting in the work. It's about not being afraid to fail, uh, embracing your accomplishments, both large and small, and the critical importance of developing grit, uh, positive mindset, the will to succeed, and, and the mental toughness to really compete at the highest level in an arena dominated by men. I really enjoy talking to this inspirational dynamic duo, so without further ado, I give you Mel Yuri and Danny Grable. Awesome. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. So excited to talk to you guys today. I'm so tired of telling stories about Epic Five and Ultraman <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, I'm excited to hear your stories. So first of all, like, congratulations on being um, two, let's see, you're two of, of three women who have completed Epic Five, right? That's yeah. Right. That's so right. awesome. Super cool. So for people that are just listening on audio, why don't you introduce yourselves? I know you, you have accents that will distinguish yourselves, but I don't want people <laughs> listening to be confused. Yes. So I'm Melissa Yuri Mel. Um, I'm the Australian, so I do sound different mm -hmm. to you two. <laughs> and I'm Danielle Grable, Danny, 
the person who's not Australian. Yeah, and you live in uh, you live in Atlanta, right? Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta area, right, and, yeah. and and Mel, you live in Melbourne. Yes, right. Yeah, cool. So uh, this is like a stop before you're heading to Hawaii, right? Yeah, and you're going to be doing the Ultraman World Championships. Yes. yes. But so you've done two Ultramans, but this is going to be your first World Championship. First one. Hawaii, yes. Super exciting. Yeah, That's can't cool. wait. So. Um, Let's just tell the whole story. I mean, first of all, how did you guys each get uh, interested in doing Epic Five in the first place? Well, I actually read about it in Finding Ultra. Oh, you did? And that's <laughs> so exactly... Sorry. I apologize sorry. for that. Sorry about that. My, my parents, thank you. No, um, <laughs> so I read about it in Finding Ultra, and I had this conversation with my husband, and I was like, listen, I read this book, and this guy, Rich, I'm like, he is an idiot. You won't believe what uh-huh. he did. And I start telling him all about it. And fast forward a couple of years later, we were out in Hawaii. My husband did Epic Man. Mm-hmm. Um, we met Jason Lester. Met. Explain what Epic Man is. So Epic Man was a traditional triple Ironman. So a 7.8-mile swim, a 336-mile um, bike, and mm-hmm. then a, was it a 78, 72-mile run? Yeah. 72-mile run, something like that. Right. 481 miles continuous. So that's where we met Jason Lester and Rebecca and her whole group. Um, and Rebecca's here. She's just off mic right yeah, here. But Rebecca yeah. runs Epic Five she now. Does. She If you read Finding Ultra, then you know that she was our angel. We, Jason and I would have never been able to do what we, what, what we did without uh, all of Rebecca's tireless help yeah, and love. Exactly. Um, so a couple years after that... Um, some somebody that had was volunteering had posted something about Epic Five applications, and I just saw it on Facebook, and I just sent this kind of random text message to her, and I said, "Hey, I think I was texting either Rebecca or Jen, and just said something to the effect of just curious. I just got on the website. Like, has a woman ever done it before?" And they said, "No." And then I'm like, mm-hmm. "Really? Wow." I was like, "I think I want to do this." And then, so what was that? I mean, you went from like this guy's an idiot to like <laughs> I'm going to do this. Well, so it was a woman. A woman was owned the race. A woman was putting on the race. The primary volunteers were all women, and it just for some reason kind of bothered me that a woman had not done it. Mm-hmm. So I felt like that needs to change. Like there's needs to be a woman that comes and participates in the race. Right. And, and it wasn't because they were excluding women, but. Women had not applied, right? Yeah, you know, up at, up until that point. So, and we should probably clarify. I think there's a lot of people that that think if they just read Finding Ultra that it was just a thing that Jason and I went and did, and then then it was over with. But, right. But Jason and then Rebecca have kind of taken this event and um, made it an official annual thing. So right. every year, a group of people attempt to do this, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you guys amongst them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. cool. What about you, Mel? Well, yes, Finding Ultra was, uh, <laughs> was my introduction uh, as well. Apologies again. <laughs> um, yeah, so I first looked at Ultraman. That was my, you know, that would be amazing. I really want to do that race. Um, and I went, you know, on the internet, looked up, found there was a race in Canada. So I went and did that one. And then afterwards I'm like, you know, you know, Epic Five, it just still seemed too big, too crazy, too out there. And I was talking to a friend and he actually made a bet with me and he said, if you do Epic Five, I'll do Ultraman. And I was like, 
right, all uh-huh. right, game on. <laughs> right, and that was all it took? That was all it took. Well, I think in some way in the back of my mind, I always knew I was going to do it, but I just needed to have that, yes, you can do multi-day events. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, you are actually able to physically do these things. And I did Ultraman and I got through that. Um, Canada was, you know, a bit crazy, but, you know, finished that one. And then I went, all right, well, that didn't kill me. So let's go for another couple of days and let's try uh-huh. something else. So, and you, yeah. you, have, you come from a swimming background, yeah? Yeah, I've been swimming since I was a kid, yeah. And what got you interested in, in the world of ultras? I think, um, I think they're just, you know, doing Ironmans. I did, you know, a couple of Ironmans and I was like, yeah, they're good, but what else is there? You know, where else, how far can I push this mm-hmm. really? And I'm, I'm still looking for that limit. I still haven't found that. Yeah, yet. clearly yeah. you haven't. <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> uh-huh. And Danny, you, you're, 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 you're married to an ultra athlete, right? Correct. So this is like, this is a family affair. Yeah. Married to super talented, done everything from 41 mile swims, 100 mile runs, triple Ironmans, we're doing a thousand mile bike race together right. in June. So yeah. That's yeah, crazy. It's, it's so how do you, do you train together? We don't. Um, we actually don't see each <laughs> Much other. Never, you must never see each other then. <laughs> we don't. Yeah. No, we are like ships <laughs> passing. This is like a perfect relationship. It, it actually, everybody's like, what's the key? And I'm like, well, we see each other um, twice a week. Uh, <laughs> oh my and God. so we work totally opposite schedules from each other. We, we do really barely see each other. Um, it's very, that's one of the hardest things. We both did a double Ironman together and that was probably one of the hardest um, things that I've ever trained for because when I train like for Epic Five, he literally does everything. He does the grocery shopping, he does the cooking, he does the cleaning. All I do is work and train. Mm-hmm. So I come home and everything's, it's so Taken like care done, done. Like here's your food, eat and it then, and then go to bed. And then what, it's his turn and then you do yep. that for him? Exactly. So you take turns? Exactly. But the training, I mean, these are you know many months of ramping up. Exactly. So that means that you then have to take a break or he has to take yep. a break, right? And that's how you balance it? Yeah, and that's really the only way that it works, and especially, you know, we're self-financed too. So it's yeah. not like we have an endless pit of money to just throw at races. So yeah, you're these spending, races are expensive. Very mm. expensive. Yeah. yeah. So you're it's a big commitment. I mean, you're you're committing the money and the time and the energy. And then that's kind of the the give and take of our relationship is like I'm gonna help you get through this and then when and then it's gonna be your turn to do something kind of later right. down the line. Right. But doing it at the same time is no bueno. No, it's it's so the thousand mile bike race is gonna be a little interesting. Yeah. Why is that? Because you guys have different training styles or you just get on each other's nerves or what? Um, I would love yeah. to train with him. So if I <laughs> am Mel's in- laughing. I know. <laughs> I was thinking about my husband and I, we do not train together because we yeah. cannot know. Like, yeah. We would just clash the whole time. Uh-huh. So yeah. if, well, we just did a big trip through Europe and we biked together. We did pretty good. So we did, we did good. If he is in, um, if he's riding with me, it means something's wrong with him and that's not cool. So uh-huh. I don't really want him to be able to ride with me because it means even- even it, it means that I'm in amazing shape and he's not, right. and that's not a great place to be. Uh-huh. So if he can, so if I'm <laughs> well, dropping him on a bike like ride, e- that's like an ego thing. Though, yeah, too. but if but I don't want him to, but I don't want him to be feeling bad. Mm-hmm. Like I want him to be faster than me because that's. He should be faster than me. Right. Well, I want to work my way up to the why behind all of this, but first, I think the the best way to kind of get into that, I think, is just to is to talk a little bit about the backstory here, because you have a you you Danny have a very interesting um, path that got you to this place that mm-hmm. I can certainly relate to. Definitely. Yeah, I was uh, overweight and just really kind of struggling with. Um, 
just kind of everyday activities, mm-hmm. walking up the stairs, everything. Just really. Yeah, on your website it said I think you were two twenty. Yeah. Uh, at, at your heaviest, and yeah. and you had a staircase episode. I did. Not dissimilar <laughs> from my own. I don't know what is going on in the universe, but I read that and I was like, hello. Yeah. You know. I did. I did. I had a doctor who. Um, really just kind of laid it all out for me and was like, look, like you have a family history of type two diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, like at the path you're going, you're 22 years old, you're going to be diabetic. Wow. 22, this was happening. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And had you been an athlete prior to that? Mm, No. Didn't play sports in high school or anything? No, nothing beyond like cheerleading, but nothing, um, I've always been competitive, but not, no, not so particularly talented. Most people, when they get that news, because a lot of people get that news, uh, they're sort of told, look, you got to eat a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You got to go to the gym. You got to take care of yourself. And I always sort of think of that as being, I mean, it's good advice, I suppose, but it's so vague. I mean, what does that really mean? So right. when you got that edict from your doctor, how did you translate that into action? Well, I didn't really even know how to start because when I say that my eating habits were poor, I mean, it was like McDonald's every day bad, mm-hmm. like coffee with sugar and cream. I mean, it was just looking back on it now, it almost makes me feel like yeah. sick. I was so disgusted. What was your favorite? Probably. <laughs> Come on. Uh, my favorite, if you want to know the truth, was ordering pizza and dipping it in ranch dressing. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. And eating pepperoni you. pizza dipped in ranch dressing. And yeah. it was, oh gosh, it was, it was just, it at the time- it just, yeah. It was you like that more than cheeseburgers? Um, yeah, I could care less about burgers, but yeah, right. no, that was it. And so I didn't even, I didn't know where to start, but I knew stuff like that wasn't healthy. So every week- And you're a nurse now, right? Uh, well, I work in geriatrics. I run okay. a home care company. Yeah. So I, I should, that was what was kind of interesting about it for me was- I'm working with people who have invested a lot of time and energy taking care of themselves, and that's why they are living to this age. And here I am, like, mm-hmm. selling you a service and providing you this care, but I'm never going to be one of you. Right, that disconnect. Yeah. It's it like when disconnect. you roll up to the hospital and you see, like, the orderlies or and the nurses and the doctors outside on the smoke break. That's exactly what it was like. Yeah, yeah. and it's like, I'm just, I'm never going to be one of you. Like, there is... They're, they're morbidly obese, 80 and 90 year olds don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but at 22, you were probably just still in school, right? Or just exactly, out of school? Exactly. So at 22, you know, there is no world outside of your little universe, except for when you decide to start thinking kind of more globally and you start thinking about the rest of your life. So right. I started really thinking about 40, 50, 60 and what that was going to look like. Uh-huh. And it wasn't very pretty. And so what were the steps that you took to address your diet and lifestyle habits? Um, the first thing I did was quit smoking because I smoked mm-hmm. too. So I quit smoking and then every week I would try to give up one thing. And then every month I would just try to give up something else. Um, and then all my little changes turned into big changes. Uh-huh. So, so it was, it was eliminating a, things as opposed to building things in, at least initially. It was a little bit of both. And then reinforcing rather than um, rather than approaching it from like deprivation. So thinking like you, you're, you can't have this. I would always try to associate how good I felt 
when I ate fruits and vegetables versus French fries. Uh-huh. So instead of saying, well, I can't have fries, it was never that like, oh, you can't have that. It was just that I'm choosing to have a banana because that makes me feel better. Right. It's still a huge gap between quitting smoking and stopping dipping pizza into ranch dressing to doing Epic Five, though. It is. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it really walk is. me through the it process. It's, it's huge. So I just I joined the gym, and I – but first, I mean, I couldn't even get through – I have a cousin who had a um, Pologa, like a Pilates and yoga video, and I couldn't even make it through that home exercise video. So my goal was when I can make it through one hour of her video, then I'm going to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to the gym and I would just try to do like 15 minutes on each piece of cardio equipment possible because I couldn't do more than 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then eventually that led to a spin class. And then a spin class led to meeting people who did triathlons. And I was like, wow. And so it was just literally like every little step, like, oh, I think I can do a sprint triathlon. And then like Mel was saying, every time I'd finish something, it'd be like, wow, that was great. But I think I can do more. Uh-huh. And then so it's just a very know, gradual process very gradual. of like increasing thing, yeah. the pressure and the intensity. You do intensity an Ironman and, and you're like, mm, that hurts. But man, there's like more out there. Yeah. Like there are people are doing things that are just crazy and crazier. Like mm. I want in on that. <laughs> what do you think that it, the thing is? I mean, people who you know tackle a difficult difficult challenge. Of course, there's a great sense of accomplishment, but I feel like people have one of two reactions in the wake of that. They're like, that was awesome. That was great. Never again. Or like, sign me up for the next one immediately. Right. How can I go harder, longer, faster? What do you think that difference is about? Like, I mean, obviously you both chose the latter, right? <laughs> yes. You know? I think some people don't like the process though. Some people, yeah. This my experience is Everybody wants the finish line. Everybody wants the medal, but people don't want to put the work in. Mm -hmm. Nobody, like when people, I'm very open about Epic Five and double Ironmans and the training and people are like, that's great. I think I would like to do that. And I'm like, well, I'll show you all my training. Mm. Oh, never mind. Yeah. So people want to say they did it, but they don't want to really get up at 4.15 in the morning. And what they miss is that the real gift, I mean, looking back on it now, yeah, you can remember finishing these races, mm -hmm. but- the real value when you reflect back is that process. Like right. I'm sure when you think about it, it's like, oh, remember that day, like when it was pouring rain and yeah. I didn't want to go out to train and I did, and I went exactly. anyway. Like that's that's the gift. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. And I also think that people choose in their term time of life that yes, I'm going to commit to this at this time, and then it's not going to happen again. Like that's just you know life happens and different mm -hmm. things happen, and I go, all right, this is going to be my six months where I put it all in. And then I'll move on to whatever, whatever after that as well. So right. yeah, and I suppose it's worth saying, like, look, not everybody has you know thirty hours a week. Exactly. <laughs> to like, I mean, it is like a job if you want to show it up yeah. fully prepared. Absolutely. And you have to reconfigure your life to Absolutely. prioritize that. I, yep. I describe it as having two full time jobs. Yeah. When mm -hmm. I'm training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah. All right. So, what was it like for you, Mel? Then, like getting getting. I mean, it sounds like you've you've been doing this for a long time. It was more just part of who you always have been. Oh, sort of. Um, I did sport when I was a kid. Um, you know, like I love how I Australians up. call it sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, did I don't sport. know what you call it. What do you call it? 
I went to university right. and I did sport. <laughs> Wait, Honestly, let's have her tell you, tell you I went what, to hospital. Have, have her tell you what they swim in. <laughs> what? What? We swim in, oh, in bathers. Oh, yeah, in yeah, In bathers? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about that. <laughs> yes. But I do, I I, um, what do they call uh, the Speedos for the guys in Australia? Oh, budgie Budgies. smugglers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to, I was in Australia, <laughs> I went to Manly Beach and they were like, this is the home of the, the budgie. I guess that's where they budgie named smuggler. it or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's a company called Budgie Smugglers that uh-huh. sells Speedos. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, like ahead. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that for hours. Right. We have been. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I wasn't wasn't that because I grew up in the country. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, I tell people where I'm from who are from Australia, and they mm-hmm. the first question is, "Where's that?" So yeah, like our parents had to drive us anywhere that we went. So you know, my brother and I we'd play sport. You know, we'd play basketball and things, but it's all just local. You know, just play with your friends, muck mm-hmm. around, like nothing serious. Um, yeah, I was never competitive at you know any of the any things I was doing. Um, and then I went to uni, studied, and I wasn't really doing anything at that time. And then um, my brother got married in 2005, and I was looking back over the wedding pictures, and his best man. Um, and going off and joined the Navy and he'd gotten really fit. And he looked at me, he's like, let's go for a run. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Cause you know, like <laughs> I wasn't really doing anything. I'd put on a bit of weight. And so the morning of the wedding was actually the first time I'd really run for years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was so sore that night. <laughs> My legs were killing me. I was thinking about that the other day. And then, yeah, like, you know, I ended up having a news resolution and I'm like, all right, time to get fit, time to focus on your health. You know, you're starting working now, you know, let's be a bit more serious about this. Um, And so, yeah, you know, I did. And I was working on the ninth floor of the hospital. So I just walk up the stairs to Mm -hmm. every shift and, you know, you'd get there and, you know, take five minutes to catch your breath and everything. But I'm like, whatever, you know, and started eating a lot healthier. And then I saw a friend do a triathlon and I'm like, that looks really fun. I need to actually start running more because I'd never really run. I'd never been, you know, I'd been riding my bike and I've been swimming, but not, not, you know, anything seriously. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, then I started, you know, I signed up for a 5K and then a 10K and then did a couple of triathlons and just absolutely loved it. Like they were the little mini baby ones, um, like, you know, 250-meter swim, 10K run, or 10K ride and 2K run. And I'd always noticed my run would be the worst out of all my three legs that I was doing. So I was like, okay, need to focus on that, need to, you know, build that up a bit. Mm-hmm. So I signed up for a half marathon the next year. So I was like, well, that'll give me a big run focus. So I did that and it was that was my first taste of doing something a bit longer. And I crossed the line, I was like, that was amazing. I want to, I want more of that. Like uh-huh. that was that was really cool. So then, yeah, just kept progressing and getting longer and longer. So then I did um, you know, Olympic distance race. And then 2008 is when I started doing like half Ironmans and then Ironman and then, you know, just kind of kept going, okay, so what's next? What's next? And, you know, when I did my first half Ironman, I was 70.3. My, the first words when I crossed the finish line was, that was amazing. I want to do another one. So Uh I signed up for another one, did it six weeks later because I was like. (laughs) Six weeks later, yeah. yeah. Like, let's just keep doing that. (laughs) So why, I mean, a lot of people that get into this. They work their way up to Ironman and then they just try to progress within Ironman to get faster and yeah. better at Ironman to get to Kona. Um, so what was it that that spoke to you or that appealed to you about making the leap into the ultra world? Like what's different about the traditional triathlon, you know, marathoning world versus the ultra world for you guys? Well, I think we were talking about this earlier today, and we've literally, for people that just met each other, we've talked about almost everything humanly possible since uh-huh. we've talked on the phone a couple times before. Do you guys this, train together? 
No, no we no. are no. But we you just met you guys. Yesterday. We should say. Oh, you did. Yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Just yeah. Because you we did just... Epic Five on different years. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yes. But we had talked to each other beforehand. So yeah. I had talked to uh-huh. her. Yeah. Um. But we like met each other Friday night. It was amazing. Um. Or no, Monday. 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 Um. We both were just just talking about that earlier. Like I'm a diesel. Like I am the yes. kind of person. Just give me some. You know give me some food and just send me on my way and I'll come back in 10 hours. Like, but my pace doesn't stop. So for Ironman, you know, I have a lot of respect for people that, that do want to get fast and want to make it to Kona. And I think that's incredible. But for me, that's just not what I'm going to be. I'm not, I'm, there's only a certain amount of weight that I'm going to be able to lose. Like, I'm just not going to be able to do that. I am made to go forever. Like Mm -hmm. that's just what I'm designed to do. Mm -hmm. So I realized that like the longer distance races, my bike times and like my swim times from a half to a full, like it wasn't changing. Right. And I was like, <laughs> uh, this is really weird. Yeah. And then I was like, I just want to keep seeing if I can keep holding this pace. And then like you do a double Ironman. I'm like, ah, uh, my swim was just about the same for a regular Ironman. So I guess you realize at some point that like, you're not going to get that much faster, so you have to start going longer. Right. Like when you're kind of made for that. Mm. Uh-huh. Like you, we. I think we both probably realized at some point, like we're made to go longer. Yeah. Yeah. No. My my first coach that I had it always said, "I'm a diesel." It's like you know exactly the same. You can just yeah. go all day as long right. as you have enough food and water. You will uh-huh. just you know, ten twelve hours, fine. I'll just keep going. I don't you know that's yeah. that's that's where I find my enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. What I, yeah. No, I feel you. I'm the same way. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, now I go around and I do, like, I go to events and there'll be, like, a fun run or a group run. And it's like, listen, guys, like, I ain't that fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yes. mean? Like, if we're going to run around the block, like, you guys are going to crush me. You know, yes. it's like, this is, yes. I ain't racing that kind of thing. People like are very I'm, disappointed. You know, get in that lane. takes me a very long time to get up to speed. And then I get to whatever that speed is and I can just hold that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's a very specific skill that works very well in ultras but isn't really translatable to anything else. No. Yeah. It takes me <laughs> you know like I mean? 60 like, miles to work up. Yeah. yeah. People are finishing the ride. I'm like, oh, I just, I feel warmed yeah, up feel now. Let's now. go. Right, 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 right. Um, all right. So Epic Five. Um, so Danny, you did it first, right, in 2016. And then Mel, right. you did it last, last year, year in 2017. Yes. Um my memories, you know, of doing it in 2010 are as fresh as ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, life changing for me, and I would imagine for both of you guys mm, as well. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Is yeah. the race course the same, Rebecca? Is it the same? Did it change? Oh, it changed. It's kind of. There's always some kind of curveball condition, right, that throws it off, and you have to adapt or whatever. Um, I think for, from what I understand for both of you guys, like day three was the hardest day in Molokai. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That was my hard day. Mm -hmm. That was the day that, yeah, our day three, we were trying to land and next thing you know, the plane's going back up in the air and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think they're landing this plane. And next thing you know, we're back in Oahu and we're sitting there and we're in the airport, and we'd been there for maybe like an hour, hour and a half. And Rebecca comes up, and she's like, and we had all there was only three people in the race at that point. We were wearing our bathing suits, our, uh-huh. our bathers. We were wearing them because yeah. we were ready. To, we were, were trying on to, the plane. Yeah, on the plane because we were trying to be so efficient with time. So Rebecca comes up, and she's like, "Hey, listen, we're gonna have like we need to just change plans. Like we're gonna have to to run like nine miles to the pool. So then like when we get, and I'm like." 
my first reaction. There were, there were sharks that year, right? So you couldn't swim in the air. Right. Ocean. So we we're swimming in a pool, but she was saying like, we don't have enough time. Like when we land, you, you have to start racing. And I just looked at her and I was like, but I'm wearing my bathing suit. And uh-huh. she's like, well, it's okay. Like you have time to put your run clothes on. So we, the plan lanes, I mean, the, the plan, yeah, the, the plan, plan got on the ground, suitcases come out clothes, running clothes. It's literally like, put your running clothes on, on as soon as you can and just start running. Right. Awesome. Yeah. That's why it's called a challenge. And that's as why it's like, to always yeah, say. yeah. And it was, um, so that was the first kind of change of the day. So we ended up starting probably three or four hours later than we anticipated. Mm-hmm. And then from there, the day, the day got tough. The day got really tough. It was, it was a hard day. Um, so when I finished, my husband said, okay, you have 30 minutes before we have to be at the airport. Do you want to eat, sleep or shower? And I was like, well, of course I want to sleep. So I just jumped in the van and tried to sleep for 30 minutes and I dozed off and I woke up we were at the airport. <laughs> right. So let me understand. So when we did it, when Jason and I did it, we did obviously Kauai was the first day. Right. We yeah. ran the, we ran the marathon first. We started at like 3:30 in the morning or something like that. Mm-hmm. And okay. you know, finished at the airport, you know, with 3 seconds to spare before mm-hmm. getting on the plane to get to the next island. Um, flew to Oahu. We had all kinds of remember that was Rebecca, remember that's where we like lost the bolts in our bikes and it was like a whole disaster the next day. So we didn't even get going the next day until like 10:30 a.m. or something oh, like right. that. It was Terrible. Like that was our Molokai. It was crazy. Like yeah. starting yeah. at noon or yeah. something. Um, and we finished yeah. so late that it was like two in the morning, right? When we finished, I think. I think. It was later than that. Yeah, it was super late. And so that's where we had to take a rest day. So for us, then we went to Molokai and actually we felt pretty rested mm-hmm. for Molokai because we, we had a little bit of a buffer there. Obviously, right. we didn't do it in five days like you guys did. So I can imagine had we made that deadline, that Molokai would have been really tough. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah. Maui was definitely the hardest. Um, it was the hottest, it was the windiest, mm. but you guys got a second wind when you got to Maui. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for me, Molokai was hard because my hamstrings locked up on the marathon and I had to walk about 30 K to finish that day. Um, because I hadn't been doing any mm. of the body maintenance that you normally do. You're stretching and rolling, like anything like that. And my legs were just like, yeah, no. Oh, there's no time. <laughs> Bit of pain. No, exactly. <laughs> it, it, when you, you can do it, hours. but you're not sleeping. You're yeah, not yeah, sleeping, like, you're not eating. Yeah. So what's the point? There's, yeah, there's no time for anything like that. Um, yeah, and it, like again, it was it was really really hot that day, and yeah, I was just mentally just really really struggling. And I remember on the run on day three, um, I was you know getting quite emotional about everything, and I was saying to my husband, I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna keep you guys up. He's like, it's fine, don't worry about it. I'm like, oh okay. And then I just relaxed and went, all right, well I'll just walk it in. Like uh-huh. I don't care, it's fine. And then um, yeah, so Maui, we ended up starting a bit later because our our swim buoy, oh we call them boys, but our swim boy disappeared I think somewhere uh-huh. <laughs> and so then like there was a bit of logistics of you guys um sorting out what to do with you know the swim and then the swim ended up being longer or something I don't I don't exactly know what happened was it at Kihei, know, was it the same beach Rebecca or Kihei beach yeah uh-huh. all I remember is getting out and seeing six k's on my garment that's one for two hours right and I was like oh oh well that's done now what right. do you do <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like everybody yeah. else yeah. did too. That's cool. Yeah. 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 I think some people were a bit stressed about it, but I was like, well, you know, mm-hmm. I can't do anything about it. I can't change it. Move on to the next thing. Um, yeah. I had, I had a bunch of flat tires in Maui as well and right. you know, riding along in the dark and I was trying to figure out, cause I knew my crew was behind me on one of my, when I had a flat 
Um, cause they just swap out wheels, which was really, really handy. But I was like, how are they going to see me? It's in the dark. So I lay my bike down and faced it towards the road. So they might see my bike light uh-huh. and that, they didn't like that. Cause they're like, Oh my God, I thought you'd fallen off and oh, no. <laughs> like freaking out. I'm like, it's okay. So yeah. But, um, like I remember someone said, you know, you're lucky if you get sleep in Maui. Like that's, you know, it basically doesn't happen. I didn't see the inside of the hotel room like, you know, you didn't either on day three. No, day three we yeah. saw. And that was right. my, from Maui, that was my big thing was I have to sleep. Yeah. Like I was like, I don't think you understand. Like today's the day that, so when I, I got off the bike, I remember looking at Mike and I said, am I going to sleep? He goes, not if you had a run like you did yesterday. And I was like, oh no. Done. <laughs> Done. That I was, was like, oh no. That you I was like, that was it. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm, I am, my head is on a pillow tonight. Right. Yeah. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. So for people that are listening, you know, it's it's daunting the prospect of of attempting to do five Ironmans in a row, and then you add in getting from island to island. It makes yeah. it all the more difficult. Um, but I think what perhaps is underappreciated is the logistics and mm. the travel. Oh yeah, that's mm. really as challenging. It's like once you're on your bike, you're like, okay, I'm good. It's like all that other stuff that's super taxing, and it's really um, a challenge in sleep deprivation Absolutely. as much yeah. as anything else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When we did it, we flew like we had a bunch of night flights, but the only night flight you guys had was off of Kauai, right? And yeah. then all the other flights were in the morning. Yes. So you'd get up in the morning, you'd have to fly to the next island, and then do. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And then yes. go right into doing an Ironman yeah. after you've been on an airplane and you've been traveling and you're schlepping gear around yeah. and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So starting the race was literally dependent on, and it was the craziest thing in the world to like not be able to drink. So it was like, okay, wait a minute. You're about to go do an Ironman, but you can't bring any water through security. And like we got to Molokai and there was no water. Like there was no water well, fountains there's nothing or anything. On Molokai. There was there's nothing, nothing yeah. at all. I'm thirsty. I'm <laughs> yeah. like... I need to eat. I need something. Like I need, like, where am I going to? And it was just, it was, it was against kind of the whole idea of the minute you finish your long training, you should refuel, you should rest, you should yeah. put your legs up, you yeah. should take an ice bath. Like all that stuff was done. Like all the stuff I did in training, like all the recovery drinks, everything gone. No. Right. You gone. were eating whatever you could exactly. whenever you could. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I remember when Jason and I finished the first one in Kauai and we were like, literally the plane was taking off and we're trying to get through security and we're still in our bike kits and everything. And we're like <laughs> shuffling our gear. We're like yelling and wait, you know, like trying to get it through. And we had all this performance nutrition liquid performance nutrition, oh. like FRS and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And the guy's like, 
He's just pouring it out like hundreds of dollars <gasps> of like, like stuff. He's just like dude. for the whole week, you know. Oh, and unlike, no. so you guys had your your husbands were crewing for you, right? Yeah, like you right. each had your own distinct crew. Yeah. Rebecca was basically crewing for Jason and I, essentially Amazing. by herself. We had people that would show up on each island, like who volunteered out of the kindness of their heart. Yeah. But yeah. Really, Rebecca's trying to manage all of this like on on her own, you know. And it was just, it, it, I mean, it was an unwinnable, you know, task. Yeah. For yeah. Her to, to, Which is, yeah. I mean, if the world that. is on fire, I want Rebecca like helping that. And that's part of, and people don't 100%. realize like the logistics. So for her just to be able to think on her feet in Molokai and come to us and not be dramatic about it and not be making a big deal, but just be like, hey guys, guess what? Like you need to, you need to just run. Like mm-hmm. you're needing to run to the swim. People don't realize like what a value that is in a race director that not everybody can do that. Mm. That that's part of putting these events on that if you didn't have somebody like her, like it wouldn't be happening. Like they just wouldn't. Yeah. They wouldn't be taking place. Yeah, yeah, agreed. No yeah, because we it. had one guy in Molokai whose bike didn't make the flight. So like, okay, we'll just do part of the marathon, you know, when it comes, then you can, you know, like after the swim. Yeah. And then there was a local who just rode with him as well. Like it's just things like that. I'm like, right. where? who else would do that? What other race would do that just to make sure everything possible? Well, who would so think then, about that? Yeah, everything possible <laughs> is done so right. then you can be successful. You have to be malleable and adaptable. Absolutely. You, know? you yeah. can't be like, well, here's my race plan and this yeah. is how it happens. <laughs> to go it's like you know w- within an hour of beginning uh, it, like that just goes out the window yeah, yeah, you know and some yeah. variable gets thrown at you exactly um, yeah. that you're going to have to contend with and i think that's as much a, about what that event is about as as just covering the distances yeah you're not yeah. going to be successful if you are black and white and you can't operate in anything outside of well this was what my plan was then you're not going to be yeah, successful you're gonna yeah you're going to crumble it will crush and you and that's Easily. the part where just being able to adapt and being able to just do whatever and being able to eat this food that you've never had before because somebody gave it to you and you just have to realize you just right. have to go with it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I got a flat and I don't know where my crew is and there's no cell service and like, what am I going to yeah. eat? You yeah. know, there's no aid stations. There's no, no there's nothing. <laughs> there's, like, there's nothing. You know? There's nothing. And that's, I, I mean, and just, but still remaining, like the attitude part is important. And that's, yeah. I think, the difference between people who are successful and people will be like, well, what does it take? And it's not just the training, but I'm like, you just, you've got to be grateful. I mean, you have to focus on the fact that this is an opportunity and it's a privilege. Mm. And the fact that you're here and you're able to do this and you're motivated enough and people care enough about you, like you're, it's it's a privilege. Right. Yeah. So don't be out there whining and complaining with a bad attitude because you're not going to make it. Yeah. 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 And that really gets tested because- when you compound the level of fatigue with the sleep deprivation, yes. you're not yes. operating exactly. <laughs> at, at your full capacity <laughs> you to be able to manage happen. everything yeah. emotionally. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. So Absolutely. my goal was not to complain. Did you? Did, did, were you successful? Yeah. Rebecca, is she telling the truth? She is. I didn't complain. Yeah. There's a really? picture of me Mel, stuck on the side of the I, road. I complained a lot. You did? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was a, I was a baby. Yeah, I had a no. I had a couple like Rebecca could tell you. I mean, I talked about him in the book. I was trying to be as honest about that as possible. Like I had several moments where I thought I was going to break, and I just was a I was a baby. I was an immature baby. Yeah, because I was so exhausted. I'd never, it, mm. it was really the sleep deprivation yeah. as much as anything oh, else. Oh no, I, I hallucinated. Yeah. I saw people oh, yeah. coming out. Of, I saw. 
I saw cats. I saw animals. I thought a woman was racing me on the last day because she was just walking. Wow. And I was like, what is she doing out here? Why is she racing me? Doesn't somebody needs to tell her that this is my fifth day out here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, she was real. She uh-huh. was real. Oh, right. Okay. Um, oh, no. I saw a lot of people. The cars were talking to me as yeah. I was going along. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they were yeah. encouraging me. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably for me, like 90% of the time, I was on top of the world. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, this is, you know... I think it was like two, three years I decided to do it before I actually was there and like mm-hmm. this is amazing. Like I had a couple of little moments, you know, I call my princess moments where you kind of have a little mental breakdown just for, you know, those brief few minutes and then you're like, all right, yep, sorted, let's continue on. It's, right. it's fine, yeah. yeah. And I always associate that with food. I, I, I think I need to eat more so I just right. eat something else. I'm like, okay, I feel good now, so yeah. keep going. And no matter how much you eat, you're going to be running a caloric deficit. Yeah, you know? you're waking up this hungry is... every morning. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, you just absolutely. have to be eating constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Even in when in moments when you're not hungry, you're always eating for six hours. Like what you know, what's going to be happening six hours from now tomorrow? Um, staying on top of that. Yeah, is, is yeah. My mantra was: um, I had to eat for day five. I had to eat right. enough to get myself to day five to be able to then finish it. Right. Yeah, that was always in my mind all the time. Mm-hmm. And my crew actually wrote down what I ate, and <laughs> I was showing to people. They're like, "Oh my god." <laughs> Yeah. Well, but then um, on. So you could like look at it at the end. Yeah, and I looked at it afterwards. Yeah. What That's happened awesome. to me? I don't know if this happened to you guys. Uh, was that I thought like, oh man, by the end of this thing, I'm gonna be. I will have lost like 15 pounds. Like mm-hmm. there's just no way around it. Yeah. But actually, I got progressively more and more bloated. Yes. And I felt like super. You know, it's the combination of inflammation and also your body trying to hold on to everything because it thinks you're trying to kill it. Yeah. And then like <laughs> 10 days after Epic Five was over, like all the weight went away, and I got like super emaciated all of a sudden. It was like, oh, we're we're safe now. Like now we don't need to hold it's on. All, you know, like, the man line has stopped chasing me. It was me. weird. My coach told me that was going to happen, and I was like, "There's no way." Like I don't, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. I think I had issues with access to food. Like yeah. when we finished, it was like, "All right, now do we, what do we eat?" And they're like, "There was nothing. Right. There just wasn't." I was surprised how I greatly underestimated the access to food, mm-hmm. and just thought that we would go to these airports and we'd be able to grab food. Yeah, mm. no, no, no. And it wasn't yeah. like that. No. So, yeah. um, Rebecca I mean, I with the st- Thai food. <laughs> I, I didn't, I was like, I kind of went after you in the book about that, you know, because I was like, Thai food again, this terrible, greasy, horrible Thai food. But it was like, that's and the only Rebecca, thing. Poor Rebecca's like, like, she's yeah. like our bikes aren't making the flights and I'm, she's running around like doing the best that she can. And I'm like, Rah! You know, she's like, probably I'm like, like, I called these wow, people you and begged them to stay open. And they I know. Gave us Thai food. Yeah, I know. I yeah, know. You're lucky I, she's still talking God to you. God bless you. Yeah. yeah. In in Molokai, I think it was. I was so hungry, and I, it was this volunteer Scott. He handed me um, what was it, musabi, mm-hmm. the spam sushi, like sushi that was made with spam in it. That sounds horrible. And I had no idea what it was, but when I ate it. It tasted so good because it was so salty, and I kept eating it. And I was like, "Oh, this is amazing! This is so good! Thank you!" <laughs> so then in Kona, my crew found some wasabi and they gave it to me. And I was like, "What is this garbage? This is horrible!" <laughs> right. And they were like, "You just ate it yesterday and you loved it." I'm like, "Oh, well, that was yesterday. Today, uh-huh. I, my taste have totally changed. I don't like it anymore." <laughs> um, Molokai is a really special place. Who Definitely. was that guy um, who lived there who rode Will. with us? Will. Yeah, Will. Yeah, 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 Will. Did he ride with you guys? He's so like the tour guide If you can believe par this, excellence. if you can believe this, Will's parents live in the same town that that 
um, I'm from. Really? Like we know the same people. Oh wow! And it was wow. such. So this is the cool. This is the cool story about Will. So he told me that he had been out every single year since the race started. Right. And the year that I was there, he brought his daughter, and she was what maybe eight or nine years old. She met us at the airport. The uh-huh. first thing she does is run up to me and start asking me a million questions. And he was like, I'm really sorry. And I was like, why are you apologizing? He was like, my daughter is so excited that you're here. She's never seen a woman do the race. Right. So when I was doing the run and I was putting my fuel belt on, what's that? What are those bottles for? What are you going to do this? I mean, she Aww. was just fascinated That's with everything. Awesome. And I got so overwhelmed. And when all of our bikes were lined up and he was like, oh, that's probably not her bike because of the gearing. I had, I, I had, I didn't have as many gears as the other guys. And then he was like, when you came up and that was your bike, I was trying to explain to my daughter, like, that's a girl riding a bike with really big gears. Aww. And it was so overwhelming. And then to find that connection, it was the coolest thing. It's and I told cool. Rebecca initially that I didn't want him to ride with me. I was like, no, I don't want to ride with him. She was like, no, this is your island. He said he's going to ride with you, and it's going to be Will. And I'm like, no, it's okay. I don't. What if I don't like him? What if he talks to me? What if he messes me up? I don't really want to ride with anybody. And then it ended up being perfect. Uh-huh. Like we had that connection. We knew all the same people in Atlanta. It was so cool. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. It's awesome. Well, Molokai is is such a unique place, mm-hmm. and it was my favorite island. Because it's the purest, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is as close to its natural state of any of the Hawaiian Islands. I mean, one stoplight, right? Yep. Barely yeah. any people live there. More That's churches cool. per capita than anywhere <laughs> like on planet Earth because of the leper colony, yep. you know, for that's what it's most known for. And just super like weird and diverse and strange, you know, from the um, kind of abandoned developments. You yeah. know, they've, they've worked so hard to prevent um, hotels and resorts from, yeah. from, mm. from being there. And there was like a big fight over that one side of the island yeah. where now there's kind of like half built buildings, but you know, it's still, it's, it's so quiet. And I don't know, there's something I think really cool about that place. Yeah, it was kind of neat. And I, of course I wanted to ask a lot of questions and learn. So, but we saw people wearing shirts like keep Hawaiian Hawaiian. And I wanted to know all about mm-hmm. that. So we learned about it. Um, but then the people were so nice to us. Like they weren't, it was like they understood you're just visitors and you're here doing this thing and then you're going to leave and you're not going to leave trash anywhere and you're going to be nice to us so we're not going to be mean to you. Yeah. Right. So it was really cool. It, it, it was so funny going past some locals and they're just kind of looking at it going, what are you, what are you doing? Like, right. what's actually going on here? <laughs> like, I would have thought everybody would know because like, yeah. like the fact that anything was happening there, like, yeah. oh my God, something's happening. We all <laughs> like, have to like happening show. What's here? Well, when we went, I mean, it was like half the town showed up. Like all these kids came out and ran with us and all the oh, teachers wow. from the High school cool. and who are those kids? The Akona, the uh, Akona kids. Like there was like one, like one teenager and his younger brother who came out and ran like oh, through the night yeah. with us while their parents drove next to. I mean, it was really something special. That's cool. Yeah, because they were like, "Wow, there's something cool happening!" Like everybody <laughs> turned up to support us. That's really cool. Um, which was really awesome. And now that yeah. it goes back every year, I would have thought like it just yeah. every year yeah. was more and more. Well, we had the local yeah. volunteers because I had a guy that just happened to be there that was in medical school that was from there. And it was just these random people with these random stories like, oh, yeah, I know this race happens every year and I just happen to be here. So I'm going to run the whole thing with you. And I'm in medical school and I live in New Jersey. And I, but I grew up here. And I'm like, where uh-huh. do these people come from? And he did the whole Ironman? He did, he did the whole run. He stayed out on the whole oh, run with cool. me. That's he was cool. a runner. Yeah, and it was yeah, just yeah. so – he was a kid. I mean, he was just, mm. just in his first year of medical school. It was just right. so awesome. Yeah. Mel, yeah, what about really you? Cool. 
Um, yeah, like I had three people in my crew and so like they'd all just taken in turns running along um, because there was 10 of us in the year that I did it mm-hmm. last year. So that it wasn't as kind of small and, yeah. and intimate Yeah, so as well. Danny, when you did it, there were yeah. four, but one, one person dropped one drop, out after so the first day, right? Yeah, so there was only three of us. So uh-huh. if volunteers were showing up, they were really, yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a really kind of one-on-one experience for sure with the volunteers. Yeah. yeah, with ten people. You yeah, guys, we didn't. You were taking over the whole island. Yeah, for we sure. really were. <laughs> wow, right. Yeah, so we didn't really have so much of all the locals like coming in and doing a lot of stuff. It was more, yeah, we were just kind of managing it ourselves. But it was cool because like my crew, you know, when they come and run with me, then they tell me stories about what their day had been like. Because I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you know, let's let's chat. You know, I haven't seen you. Like you've been passing me stuff all day, but I haven't had time to talk to you. Um, and they were saying they were constantly getting questions for like every island. People coming out going, so what's this? What's going on? What's happening? And yeah, they found that really really right. fun. Yeah. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Oahu is interesting because you have to deal with the, you know, the congestion, you know, mm. it's such a contrast to Molokai. Yes. Um, I just remember, you know, trying to just get out of Waikiki and Honolulu took forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, you're on the other side of the island. It's beautiful. It's pristine. But then kind of making your way back into Honolulu, it was like stoplight, stoplight, stoplight. And I just remember it just drained me. I was like, is this bike ride ever going to end? <laughs> like, I just want to ride and finish it. But because of traffic and just in ur- the urban metropolis, um, it took so much longer. So Rebecca, would do, was the course, this, the bike course the same? No, we changed it. Oh, you changed it. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, because that was a problem. But the mar- was, is the marathon course still out on that highway? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you yeah. run up Diamond Head. Right. I had Chet the Jet with me. Oh, we had Chet. He he did Chet the whole thing. Chet never stops. He did the whole thing with me. I was like, this is that was my treat. That uh-huh. was my big Oahu treat was having Chet. So with explain me the whole time. who Chet the Jet is. So Chet the Jet is. <laughs> like I a, thought I met him. This guy is a world class character. He really is, and I have to tell you, is somebody who like grew up in Georgia, and we go to Hawaii, and we're new to ultras, and Jason's doing this triple Ironman, and we land in Hawaii, and I'm training for a 400-mile bike ride across Florida. I'm trying to break uh-huh. this record. And just here shows shows up this guy, Chet, with his bike. Like, hey, take this bike. Like, go ride this bike. And I'm like, what? Mm. Like, who are you? Where did you come from? And then he just starts telling me he's, I mean, just a legend, double-deca finisher, played 100 hours of tennis nonstop for charity once. I mean, if there's something that Chet is going to, if there's a way to spin it, but in the most humble way. Mm-hmm. I mean, not because he wants you to know that he's Chet and he's done these incredible right. things because he truly is like that hungry just to figure out what what all he can do. Yeah, it's kind of like, he's kind of like Jack LaLanne a yeah. little bit like that. And I don't know if you noticed, but when he sends emails or posts on Facebook, he does it in all caps I with know. lots of exclamation <laughs> points, no matter what he's saying. But that's Excited how about he is. everything. Yeah, and I, I told know. him, I was on the phone with him one day and I'm like, Chet, I always think you're yelling at me because you're I always know, in right? cap locks. Yeah, I, I was like, you got to stop with the cap locks, man. That's his thing. But he's so funny and he's just so awesome. And his wife speaks no, very little English and they have this awesome relationship. And I'm like, how do you guys even talk? He's like, you know, universal body language. Mm. He's just so cool. And so going there and having him, like having met him and and then I went and crewed him down in Florida at a double Ironman and being able to kind of keep that connection up Mm. and then having him, it was like, we never skipped a beat. Like when I saw him, I hadn't seen him in two or three years, but it was like, that was it. Like we just 
Right. He talked the whole time. We told stories. Like, we were best friends and talked on the phone every day. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's awesome. It's cool. Yeah. Chet's, Chet's he came up special. and said hi and said that he'd met them. you the year before. Yeah. I was like, make sure you go find yeah. Mel and go talk yeah. to Mel. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And he run with you as well? No. No, I had my crew who were running with me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We just came up to say hi. And yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. I just remember... Uh, a whole bunch of people from the Hurt team, like the Hawaiian, mm-hmm. you know, ultra runner mm. crew that live on Oahu, like turned up and it was like a weeknight, you know, and we didn't start until I think it was it was definitely dark when we started running that day. I can't remember exactly what time. It wasn't that late, mm. but um, I was like, all right, they'll run five or six miles and then, you know, they all have jobs or whatever. And there's yeah, like, like no, it was like a couple of them peeled off, but... Most of them ran the entire marathon with us yeah. that night, just on a That's weeknight, so cool. like just because or whatever. And like Chet was like right there. That's what Chet did. And we finished late, like two o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah, wow. One or two. And I was like, do you have to work tomorrow? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, it's like a Tuesday. I like, know. Let's go. I'm like, do people not go to, and he's like, oh no, it's cool. I'm going to work. Like that's. Right. Just like whatever. Run a random marathon in, in the middle of the night on a weekday and go to work. But that's just uh-huh. totally that's that's the kind of people that you meet. Like that's yeah, these are these are the people that are out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh and and it's it's sort of surreal to be like running through Waikiki with all those shops and everything like that after being in, you know, the more remote areas of the yeah. other islands. Yeah, yeah, that was really funny running down, um, you know, Waikiki Beach with all these people, you know, all these tourists and all these people because it was in the afternoon, the sun was shining, the beach was pumping, and we're like running along doing a marathon. (laughs) And there's all these tourists. No one knows. No, No. that's that's kind of what's awesome about it is that like no one even knows what you're doing. No idea. And the tourists on Diamond Head, they had all these like people stopping and taking pictures. We're like, excuse me, excuse me. Uh It was so fun. Right. Really, people just no clue. No clue. And and really the strategy with all of this is you you don't want to go too hard, right? Because there's no reason to overly deplete yourself. Like the flight's still gonna leave when the flight's gonna leave. Um, so you're you're it's sort of I call it like persistent conservation. Like mm-hmm. you wanna keep yeah. moving, you yeah. don't wanna go too fast and overly exert yourself unnecessarily. Yet the longer you're out there, the longer you're out in the heat. And the mm. less sleep you're going to get, mm. so you're like trying to balance these things to try to maximize the amount of rest you're going to be able to get without kind of tipping too far into overexertion mode. Right. So how yeah. did you like gauge that for yourselves? Oh, I found on day one it was really hard, and I didn't know. I just kept mm. going, especially on the run, because that's what's going to beat you up. You know, I was like, you know, I want to run and walk, and I did the run walk from the whole the very you know first mm-hmm. marathon. But I was like, you know, I feel okay. I probably could run a little bit faster, but I don't want to. And I was like, oh. And I was always questioning. I'm like, I know I'm going to get through this. I'm not going to do it. That was never a doubt in my mind. But it was how I was going to do it. And it wasn't until I woke up on day two, and my body just felt like I'd been out doing a normal training day as I was doing. You know, I'd been out, you know, riding and running for eight hours or whatever. And I just had that level of fatigue. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I've got this. That's right. fine. And that's when I had that, okay, now I know how to just to do this and how mm-hmm. to get through this. Yeah, but it wasn't wasn't until that point. And that was a, a, a concern. And no one that I was able to talk to would have an answer because they didn't know what I could do. Right. So it was like, yeah. I don't understand. And they hadn't have to done it, it themselves. Out. Yeah. I mean, so. I could have asked daddy, but she doesn't, you know, we're very different people in terms of like pacing and things. So mm-hmm. it's like, you just have to figure it out. Right. So you don't know. Yeah. No, no, you, you don't. don't know. Yeah. I was fortunate. Um, 
in hindsight, kind of fortunate. So mile 46, um, I cracked a rim on my bike. So I ended up spending like an hour and a half off the bike on the first day. So it was a lesson in patience because I ended up getting past. So I'm a lot stronger cyclist than anything else. So it's unusual for me, even in a field where I'm with men, it would be unusual for me to be not kind of up there with them. So right. that was the whole deal with me in, in the first two islands because in Oahu I spent maybe two hours off the bike. And to leave your little bike computer on and see it go down to like 11 miles an hour. And I was only huh. at the halfway point, And I remember Rebecca saying like, you can't get back on the bike and hammer it. Like I know that you can, mm-hmm. but you can't. Mm-hmm. And she, she was completely right. Like I had to just be – it was a huge ego check, like a huge – um I am capable of going faster, but I can't. Right. And I shouldn't. Because you have to have the long-term goal in mind. Right. And the fact that I've been off the bike for an hour and a half or two hours, I was like, just use this as an opportunity to eat food and to get, you know, to rest and to hydrate and and just be patient. Like it was patience. Like, it's okay. Just sit here. on Kauai, I mean, there's one bike shop, right? Yeah. And so Um, if you break down... I remember we broke down and we didn't have cell service. Do you remember that? Like, and, and just like stranded forever. Like I broke my cable and, and uh. it was like, how do I even let anyone know that? It's like, it was yeah, that, you're yeah. sitting there on the side of the road forever. You feel helpless and yeah. you're like, the clock's ticking. And yeah. you're like, that airplane's still going to leave. Like I got a long way to go today. Mm. Yeah, it was it was really rough. And, um, you know, my husband and I are pretty fairly like intense people in terms of, like um, times of the essence. And he's very much like a hurry up, hurry up, hurry up kind of person. So in Kauai, it was interesting because ultimately we ended up borrowing a wheel from the person that ended up dropping, um, Mm. which was amazing because if it wasn't for that, then, you know, I wouldn't have finished. But borrowing that wheel meant I needed a new chain. So we had to wait for the mechanics. And it was just um, very different in terms of, and then in Oahu, it was kind of like somebody that lived on the island put something in their mailbox that I needed. I don't even remember what it was. And they were like, oh yeah, we're going to drive to this guy's house and grab it from the mailbox. We'll be back in like an hour. And my husband's like, an hour? Right. Like you can't get there any faster. And it's, I'm like, you don't understand. Like it's different here. Yeah, it's this island, island time. Is island time. Yeah. So there's no such thing as like, he's, like Marine Corps mentality, like, come on, uh-huh. come on, come on, come on, come on. And I'm like, these people aren't going to move any faster. Like, this is what they're doing. Yeah. You just got to chill out. And you were able, I mean, you strike me as a very intense person. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so Rebecca told me that you showed up with like a three-inch binder of all your prep for the race. Yeah. Like you had the whole thing dialed, right? Like you're yeah. attacking this like a Navy everything, SEAL. Everything, right? Well, I, it, it is comforting to me. <laughs> Mel's laughing. <laughs> Mel is well, not like that, right? Well, no, no, it's you're like, I'm organized, but I'm not It's comforting yeah. to <laughs> me to, there's so many things that I can't control. Uh-huh. And the only thing that I can control is how organized I am. And it so it provides like a level of comfort to me to be organized. So like the minute the race was over, um, like I downloaded, I typed everything up. Like I did, I typed up all these notes of all the stuff that I did wrong, all the things mm-hmm. that I would have changed because I want to help other people. Mm-hmm. And then when Mel contacted me, she was like, well, what would you do different? I'm like, well, let me share this three-page document right. with you of every mistake I made. But it's like- And it, you're like, whoa, <laughs> I'm like, what am I okay. doing? Yeah, like, <laughs> don't do any of that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is what you don't want to do. Uh-huh. But yeah, I had gallon- like bags and I had literally everything labeled, like day one swim, day one bike, day one run, Uh because 
you know, you want to set your career up for success. I had instructions. Like, this is the kind of stuff. Don't coddle me. Don't tell me I'm doing great. If I'm not, Mm. don't call me sweetheart. Don't be nice to me. Just like be forceful because those are the type of instructions. Like, you know, if I'm careering somebody, I want to know everything. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to know that you don't want to talk or that you like to talk or Mm -hmm. that you don't like, um, vanilla gels, Mm -hmm. you know, those are the types of instructions. So yeah. Oh yeah. I will totally show up and be like, but then I also showed up with a unicorn (laughs) and try to get everybody to take pictures with my unicorn. So Uh I have a very, I have two different sides. Right. And well, your husband knows what you need and don't need and can, there's a shorthand there, of course. Yeah. Um, And I think what's, what's maybe interesting for people that are listening that aren't familiar with this world is when you're doing these crew supported events, um, it's incredibly challenging for the crew members. Like you think, oh, we're just driving behind them in a van. Like it's really, really hard work. It's very intense. And you're dealing with, um, you know, somebody who's trying to do something amazing and you want to serve that person, but what comes out of their mouth and what you should do are often two different things. So you have to really understand um, what's going to serve the athlete not what they're asking for, right? Because what they're asking yeah. for may not be what they actually need. Like they'll right. say, yeah. I'm not hungry, I'm not gonna eat, and you have to force them to eat yeah. or make sure they understand they need to eat. And all of those cues um, are important to you know, keep in mind, especially for like new people who are crewing who don't really know what they're in for. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I had a funny story. When I was in Maui, um, my shoes weren't fitting properly. Like my feet had swollen and my little toes uh-huh. were just a blister. Like I had no toes left. It was ridiculous. And I All had two, oh, just, just my little toes. Uh, okay. And then I had a, a um, blister on the inside of my other foot, which ended up being like a pressure sore. So yeah. that was pretty, pretty bad. But I had two pairs of shoes and I'd convinced myself that one of them didn't fit and I wanted to try the other one on. <laughs> Same size, uh-huh. <laughs> nothing uh-huh. different. And my husband's like, no, no, they're the same. I'm like, no, no, I want to put the other shoes on. He's like, okay, fine. It's like just path of least resistance. That's right. just, just do it, yeah. But I think they have a harder job than the athletes every time. Like the crews are just, it is, yeah, amazing. It's amazing totally selfless and it yeah. is really difficult. And yeah. when I was in Kona, it, it was it never rains on this side of the island. Poured rain the entire marathon. On the Kona um, coast? Yeah. Oh, it did? Poured oh, yeah. rain. Oh, wow. it, poured, it never rains on this side of the island. And I kept wanting to change my shoes and socks. And my husband was like, it doesn't matter. It's pouring rain. Right. You're running through puddles. And I was like, I have blisters. He was like, it's the last day. Who cares? You just have to keep going. Uh-huh. And and I listened to him. Like He could say that where other people might... Like let me stop and change, and then five miles later, I would have been in the exact same situation. I want to stop and, ch- and change my shoes and socks. So you have to have somebody who knows you enough to kind of push back when you, because you almost you start acting almost like an infant. Like it's almost yeah. like yeah. children who lack judgment. Yeah. Like where mm-hmm. you have to make the decisions for them because they're like they have impaired functioning. Like it's mm-hmm. almost like that's how you are when you race. Like your brain's not working right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How did you guys feel on the last day? Oh, I was so excited. That was party day for me. Yeah. I was like, I've got here. I'm finishing this. Yeah. Because like up until that stage, it was, you know, anything can go wrong. Anything can break. Anything, you know, something can happen that will completely derail you and you won't be able to finish. And so in my mind, the whole time I'm like, get to day five, get to day five, and then it's fine. Then, uh-huh. you know, you're there and life will be amazing. And yeah, it really, it really was. Um, it was really, really fun. I absolutely loved day five. Um, yeah, I had a couple of naps along the way, which was, which is awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> cause I said to my crew beforehand, cause, um, my, my old coach, um, he passed away, but Craig Percival, when he yeah, did I that. To, I wanted to talk okay. to you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
Um, so when he did the eight in Australia, the eight Ironmans, he would have power naps and that really re-energized him and helped him. So I thought about that. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that if I feel like I'm going to fall asleep. And I was on the Queen K and I started seeing dots in front of my eyes and I could see on the bike, I was actually swerving and I'm like, I'm going to run into a car. I'm just going to accidentally just swerve into a car. So I pulled up to my crew and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I need a nap. So they just put me in the front seat. I put my feet up on the dashboard, lay the seat down and just slept for 15 minutes, got back on the bike. I'm like, all right, good now. And then kept going. And yeah, like, you know, I just, I just hung out and took my time. Like, yeah, there's a Facebook video when I'm at the turnaround at Harvey and I'm, you know, sitting down the car, just eating chips, you know, having a chat. My brother's, you know, (laughs) talking shit on Facebook to Uh me, you know, sending all these random messages and yeah, like, you know, like what you were doing, like hallucinating and, you know, just all over the place. But I just had so much fun. And it was one of those times like the end was really emotional for me. Like I could feel Craig's presence there and just I just became really overwhelmed with the fact that all of these people were here to support me. Like, you know, I had um, three people fly over from Australia to come over there. I'm like, mm-hmm. who who does that? Who flies, you know, gets on a plane for me? Like there was no other reason. Like they were having their own holidays and everything else, but that was the reason that they were there at that time. Wow. And it was just that whole you know, experience about that. And yeah, like (laughs) there wasn't many people who weren't crying at that time (laughs) when I finished, but yeah, that was just, oh, it was amazing. And I still can recapture that feeling just talking about it now. I'm still like, I just take myself right back there and it's, yeah, it was, it was amazing. So explain who Craig Percival was. Oh, Craig was an amazing man. He was a huge personality in the Australian triathlon world, Mm. basically. Um, He's, when I met him, um, he was working for blue, well, around blue 70 and doing a lot of wetsuits and, you know, like he helped me get into my wetsuit before a race that I was doing and he would do it for anybody. You just walk up to him and go, oh, can you help me? And he'd just like mm-hmm. put it on properly and you're like, oh, amazing. And then, you know, go off and um, yeah, so he had started his own coaching business. He had owned um, Aqua Shop, which was like a, a bathing suit, <laughs> bathing company and like wetsuits and, you know, like everything. And he was like the go-to person about everything that. Um, and he was married to, well, yeah, his um, wife, Lyndall, and two kids, um, a beautiful, beautiful family. Absolutely uh-huh. amazing. So, yeah, he had done Ultraman Canada um, the year before I did it. So right. I met up with him and he's like, hey, when you're ready to talk, you know, I'll tell you everything that you need to know about the whole event and everything. So that was that was amazing. He was a really, really good resource for me for that as well. And then he came over to um, Hawaii and did the year after. I can't remember what year that the was. Ultraman World Championships. Yeah, yeah. At yeah. least once, right? Yeah, he, he did. did. Yeah, he did once. Uh-huh. He did two Ultramans because then right. when the rest of us had done two, we're like, well, come on, Craig, got to do another one now. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? It's slacking off. And so then he actually co-race directed Ultraman Australia um, uh, for a couple of, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So he brought Ultraman Australia um, out with another guy, Tony, in 2005 was the first year that they did that. So yeah, like he was big, like everybody knew him, you know, he couldn't walk anywhere at a race without, you know, stopping. Right. Talking legend, to absolute legend in the multi-sport community yeah. in Australia yeah. and like beloved by everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, after he did Ultraman Hawaii, he was like, okay, so what else can I do? So he created his own event, um, which was eight in eight in eight. So it was, um, eight Ironmans in eight different States of Australia in eight days. 
And yeah, like he had <laughs> a hell of a time doing that <laughs> as well. Yeah. And, you know, he, he had timelines of having <laughs> to do like, you know, 11 hour Ironmans to get on a plane to get to the next state because mm-hmm. Australia is huge. Right. And to be able to. And it's not a puddle jumper flight from one little island to the next. No. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's hours, hours of flying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so then after he did that, then he um, was having problems with his knee and he wasn't able to run and he was like really struggling. So he went in and had surgery on it and then subsequently as a result of that surgery had a blood clot um, that he ended up dying from. So, yeah, he was in intensive care for about a week before he ended up passing away. So it was... How it old was, was he? Is in his 40s. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember exactly how old. So it was incredibly sudden as well. And, you know, like a fit, healthy guy, then suddenly, you right. know, in intensive care, in a coma and never waking up. It was, yeah, it was just. Yeah, it's devastating. Yeah. Yeah. So that was December um, 2016. Right. Yeah. So he was coaching you at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're. Six months out from doing Epic Five. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, there was a few of us who were doing, I was doing Epic Five and then others were doing Ultraman Australia mm-hmm. and all around the same time of year in May. And so we're all just talking to each other, just going, what do we do? Like, you know, it's kind of one of those things. I'm like, I always, I need to be selfish and think about myself and what I need at this point in time, but also be respectful about, you know, it was, it was such a kind of a balance and a juggle that we're all really, I know I was kind yeah, of struggling like it, with. Yeah, like and, feeling guilty for thinking about like, well, how do I train for this race yeah, right now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, we all knew that Craig wouldn't want us to give up on our dreams and, you know, we, he would really want us to continue and not stop. But it's mm-hmm. like, okay, so then what, what do we do? Like how, you know, where do I go from here? Because he was, I'd only, like I'd known him for years, but I'd started with him at the start of that year. So I'd had him for about a year and I didn't want to go back to my old coach and I was just kind of, a bit stuck in limbo at that time. Yeah, so then yeah. how does Kate come in? Um, so I contacted her. So, yeah, I'm coached by Kate Bevelacqua now um, and she's she's amazing. I sent her a message and I said, look, this is where I'm at. This is the event that I've got. You know, I was coached by Craig. You know, he's obviously, you know, passed away. So are you able to help me? And she was amazing. She just, um, you know, we had a chat over Skype and she's like, yep, yeah, I can help you. That's fine. Yeah, no uh-huh. worries. And then just started training with her and it's worked out, worked out really well. She... She thinks I'm absolutely crazy, and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) And she won (laughs) Ultraman one year, right? Yes. I can't can't remember what year it was. Uh, A couple of years ago, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, Uh no, she won it. And she did, um, because Ultraman Canada was rebranded, and so she won that outright. Like, she beat everybody in the field. So Mm -hmm. I was like, well, someone with that pedigree, they, well, I mean, I don't care if you're not, you know, amazing at what you do, but you understand ultra racing. Yeah. And that was a big thing that I wanted in a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I reached out to her and I <laughs> said to her, I'm like, I'm talking to a few other people. I really wasn't, but I was like, just in case you say no, I'm kind of just, you know, I've got other options, but yeah, no, she was, she was totally cool about it. So yeah. that was really good. What do you what do you guys think is the biggest difference between, you know, the uh, how you prepare for and race like a marathon or an Ironman? I mean, there's a lot of people listening who've dipped their toe in some kind of race or another. What's the difference between like mindset wise? I'm not talking about like the physical training aspect of it, but like mindset wise and experience wise between those traditional types of races and say Epic Five, you know, Ram, which we haven't even talked about yet, which you did, Um, you know, these multi-day super ultra experiences. 
I think the difference is that my coach and I have a joke that there's people that do like executive level training. So there's, he's got his doctors and his attorneys that require an executive level training plan, which is the bare minimum to finish an event. And there Uh are things that you can just get up and and get off the couch and train a little bit and you can do them. You'll make it through. And you're going to make it through. And then these events, you cannot do that. You cannot show up without a certain level of preparation or you absolutely will not finish. And if you, um, and it's not to say you don't respect the distance, but the other, you know, the other aspect that I think not just the physical part, it places a lot of strain on every part of your life, mm-hmm. your relationship, your job. So you've really got to be in a good place. Like if you don't have a good support system in terms of your family, your your partner, you know, you're, it's all that's just going to be become bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So if your friends are giving you a hard time because you're, you're missing out on stuff every weekend and you're overcome by the guilt of missing out on yet another birthday party or something, like it's just that stuff will kind of like eat at you yeah. versus people saying, hey, I know you're about to go in a hole and I'll see you in six months. Mm-hmm. I, I often tell people, you know, what's going on in your life at this time? And they're like, oh, you know, my mom's sick. You know, I've got this going on. Like work's really busy. I'm like, maybe wait. Yeah. You know, yeah. you need your life sorted mm-hmm. at that point in time as much as you can. I mean, obviously you can't control everything, which, you know, that's fine. Um, but if there's big things that are happening, you know, you're planning a wedding, uh, maybe you know, mm-hmm. that's big enough as it is. Yeah. Maybe wait. I think for me, in terms of the mindset stuff, is um, I like the point where you're not wanting to go any further. Like the, when you get to that point of, you know, this is really hard. This I'm really starting to struggle here. I find that's where my race starts. Like that's where my enjoyment really peaks because you have to push through and you have to find a way just to continue on. And then when it gets really, really hard, I'm like, yep, that's that's a right. sweet spot for me. And what have those moments taught you? Like how do you stop. carry how do you carry those forward into other aspects of your life? Um, I guess that I, I mean, for me, it's that I don't stop. Like mm-hmm. I, I grew up as a very, very stubborn child, as my parents tell me, and I've kind of turned that into a mental strength. And so, I guess, I mean, in my world, in my job, I'm a mental health nurse, so. Anything that is incredibly stressful is like, you know, that's really intense point. You know, that's like we're talking about, you know, somebody we were saying before, you know, if, if no one's trying to commit suicide, if no one's beating each other up, if no one's, you know, imminently going to die, it's okay, we can deal with this. And so I think <laughs> I have that right. attitude in all of aspects of my life. Um, yeah, so I think that, you know. Yeah. My <laughs> husband's a sniper you, on the SWAT team. So <laughs> is if, he? Yeah, so if people shit. aren't trying to kill us, we're like... <laughs> Are people it's in like, trees? No, we're good. This is no and, big deal. But it's deal. a different, and I work in healthcare too. And That's in like death the and, David Goggins perspective. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And I work in um, with at end of life. So I'm with people, whether they're old or not, I am I am working with people in the like the end of their lives. So for me, it's like, I, what, you know, what it's taught me is I am comfortable being uncomfortable. And I tell people, I'm like, I'm the kind of person that could walk around all day with a rock in my shoe and never take it out. And that's, People aren't like that. People aren't. So I'm willing to have those uncomfortable conversations with my patients. Mm-hmm. Like I'm willing to do in like in in her, you know, in your work, that's you you can go places with people and not feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and that's, that's daily. That's yeah. every so in every single day I do something I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Every day. Yeah. Whether it's um, having because. a conversation because 
practice, I mean, practice is what you have to do. And the more often that you do it, it just teaches you that discipline. So that if every single day I do something, whether it's having a conversation with an employee about a performance issue that I don't want to have that conversation, but I have to have it, it just teaches me I can do things I don't want to do. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's part of being an adult and I can be uncomfortable and I don't always have to be comfortable and it's okay. Yeah, getting comfortable with discomfort, having the willingness to you know face and confront those uncomfortable situations and scenarios, it's a muscle just like mm-hmm. anything else, right? And yeah. and I know that that's what makes me feel alive, and it also gives you the strength to tackle more and more difficult challenges, not just physical challenges, but right. emotional challenges, yeah. professional challenges, exactly. relationship challenges, like yeah. anything that life throws at you, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's a resiliency thing. Yes. Like it's just a resiliency thing. Um, and, um, you know, there's there's kind of a joke at work that I'm kind of like a cockroach. Like the world like can come to a nuclear end and here I am going to just going to be running around like a little cockroach yeah. that can never be because it's just – you're right. I mean, you do you you always compare it to the experiences that you've had. So if you if you live in a higher stress environment or you work in a high stress environment like my husband, like nothing to him is that big of a deal because mm-hmm. look at the work that he does. Mm-hmm. So when you know, when I people are like, gosh, Epic Five was so crazy. I'm like, you know what was really crazy? Taking two weeks off work. Epic Five was a vacation. <laughs> you should have seen the work I had to come back to. Like uh-huh. that was a treat. Like that's yeah. nothing compared to like what we do day in and day out. So Mm -hmm. it it makes it, yeah, it just puts everything in perspective for sure. Another thing I think, uh, at least that I found is when you make that decision and you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take on this challenge. Um, understanding the amount of time and energy and focus that's going to be demanded of you, that's Mm. going to be required of you in order to show up and be your best self for that particular challenge um, requires you to get super focused on what's important and what's not in your life. And anything extraneous sort of gets stripped away. It's like what you were talking about with your friends and birthday parties and things like that. You do have to be in a good place in order Mm. to do that. But for me... It was almost not a cleansing, but a clarifying process of getting me closer to what is important to me and what's not. And what am I willing to sacrifice to accomplish a certain goal? And then you almost need that three inch binder just Mm -hmm. to guide you through your life. Okay, like what's the decision tree today Mm. in order for me to get the things done that need to get done? And there's just not a lot of downtime for fucking around. Like, you know what I mean? So it, it makes you extremely. It just the vert, the looming deadline or or you know event date makes you get extremely diligent in how you're managing your time throughout the day. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was I had this experience recently with my coach, and um, I was in Hawaii and had planned all the logistics for he and his brother to to race in Kona, and we were talking about how. Um, it's it's very difficult. He races. His brother's got cerebral palsy, so he swims and and swims with him and does a modified mm-hmm. bike and pushes him on the run. And right. we were having this conversation about like all the media and stuff. And I said, every every exchange that you have with someone, like you're giving a piece of yourself away, whether you mean to or not. Every time you talk to somebody, and if that's not a positive encounter, or if it causes you anxiety or angst like that you get chipped away and and then you feel depleted. Right. And your training depletes you. So you have to be very cautious about the people that are in your life and how they support mm-hmm. you and what they need from you because you can't 
um, if you're a problem solver or you're a person who's always trying to fix things for people and then you end up doing all this training and you can't, at some point you've got to back out of some mm. of those other obligations. Mm. Yeah, you have to create healthy boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And the stakes are higher, right? So mm. you don't have the... Um, you know, the bandwidth to right. kind of engage people in a way that ordinarily would be no big deal. Yep. Right. Exactly. Like, I'm yeah. really sorry I can't listen to your conversation on my way to work this morning about the argument you had with your husband <laughs> yeah. over a pint of I just can't <laughs> Like, I'm like, seriously, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like, I can't, I, I can't waste energy. And for me, it's all about energy conservation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't be worried about that. Mm. Like when I did Ram, one of the, the um, girls on the crew, she had a tattoo on her finger that said, let it go. And so that's my thing is I do this and it's like, let it go. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's like, just let it go. Who cares? Yeah. Just yeah. let it go. Yeah. So what was Ram like? So you were, you were the, what's the accolade? You, you were the first, the, the youngest The youngest two person female team. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we set the uh, two person female a record in terms of speed and uh, and age. We were the youngest. Um, How long did it take you? Eight days, two hours and 35 minutes. Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. So what is that like sleeping a half an hour a night? We did, um, so for 12 hours during the day, we did anywhere from like 10 to 30 minute pools a oh, piece. Oh, wow. And so we did that for 12 hours. And then uh-huh. at night we did, um, we did a three, 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 three. So three, three hours. hours on, three hours off, three hours on, three hours off. Uh-huh. And our goal was to sleep for an hour and a half during that three hours. Cause that was also when we were doing like a full kit change, brushing our teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal was to do get like an hour and a half to two hours, but broken up into two segments. So three hours a night total on average. Yes. Right. Yeah. And in between, it's essentially an eight-day interval workout. Correct. Yeah. Time trialing <laughs> the rest of the time. Oh, my God. Yep. Time trialing across That's the country. so hardcore. Yeah. What was the hardest part about that? Um, honestly, I think the hardest part was that was the – we had a crew of 11 people hmm. and just managing the, the dynamics of the people with the crew and, and just being different – in having to make sure that not worrying, like not trying to worry about how people were, my job is to ride a bike. And like, I can't be worried mm-hmm. that you guys were arguing with each other. Mm-hmm. And um, we had these like radio pieces that they use where you, they can talk to you. And my my husband and his brother were like, they, they argue, like they argue all the time. And by like the sixth or seventh day, they they were arguing with each other. And every time they talked, it came in my earpiece. And they were like, bro, bro, that's not the right turn. Dude, dude, shut up. And I finally, I just ripped it out. And I was like, I'm done. I can't listen to Uh you guys anymore. I just need to ride my bike. Yeah. (laughs) So so I think the dynamics, like that was probably the hardest part, was that's a long time for people. And who was your partner? Um, Her name's Casey Darden. Um, Yeah, so she was was my partner. And I met her at Double Ironman. Yeah. Yeah, in Atlanta. And... um, she went out and crewed an eight-person, or she was part of an eight-person team that rode. And she came back. She was like, we can totally do this. Uh-huh. And, and I was like, yeah, of course So 
I mean, we're, I just, I'm trying to wrap my head around like the whole process of going end to end Mm -hmm. across the entire country. I mean, what was the hardest terrain? Was it the super long flats through the middle of the country where you think it's never going to end? Is it going over over the mountains? The Appalachians are definitely the hardest. Really? So everybody talks about the Rockies and Colorado and all that, and that's great and everything, but nothing is compared to the Appalachians. Uh And the good news is- Why is that? Because it's humid or because it's- it like the, because it's the humid, it's six hundred. The climbs are harder. The climbs are harder. Mm. The roads are windy. You can't see what's around the corner. Like Colorado and the Rockies are just wide open. It's beautiful. The Appalachians, it's not like that. It's trees. Uh-huh. It's just there's not the scenery to look at. The climbs are harder. It's disgustingly hot. It's just so gross. And you're six hundred miles from the finish, so you're twenty four hundred miles into the race. Wow. The good news is we have a place up in the in the mountains in the Appalachian Mountains, so that's kind of our ground. Like that's what mm-hmm. we train in. So, so you were ready for it. So we were more ready for that because we have such close access to it from Atlanta. Uh huh. Yeah, but that was definitely the hardest in terms of the terrain. Was it a bigger sense of accomplishment doing that versus Epic Five, or how do those two compare? I mean, they're, they're apples mm. and oranges, but... Epic Five was definitely, definitely a much... Um, yeah. Yeah, Ram was incredible. And at the time, I was like, it's going to be really hard to kind of top this, but Epic Five definitely topped, topped that, oh, for sure. Um, yeah, and it was, it was, yeah, it was a lot harder. Logistically, like we didn't have stuff that went wrong. We had stuff that went wrong, but nowhere even remotely close to Epic Five. Uh huh. So, paint a picture, each of you, for what a typical training week looks like so people can really understand (laughs) what goes into this. (laughs) Well, we were just having this hilarious conversation because I like to actually let myself get like completely out of shape for things. Almost because I like the challenge of just like being like all the way back in shape. But yeah, how old so are you depend- now? I'm 37. Right. When I it say it's harder when you get you, you don't <laughs> want to get too be, far away. I should from be it cautious about how I say out of shape. I'd like yeah, to, I like you. to yeah, out you. of shape is a relative term. Is a relative uh-huh. term. Um, but when I am in shape or training for something, I mean, I typically will try to swim. Um, I swim in a master's program Monday, Wednesday, Friday. When I was when I was training, my heaviest training week for Epic Five was like thirty nine hours. Uh-huh. So I did two back to back weeks of training, and that's and just do, low intensity volume for the most part. For the most part, I would always 30, um, 35 hours, 39. thirty five hours, thirty nine. So I did a thirty eight hour one week and thirty nine yeah. the next. You're I literally do, training basically seven hours a day, and I would do um, like at least 10 hours on the weekend. Um, I would always like get up and swim masters, do a seven and eight hour ride. And then I would run for like two to three hours off the bike. So uh-huh. I was getting these huge blocks of training in and I would take Fridays off and do these big, like massive training blocks. And then like come Monday morning when you're exhausted, I would get up at 4.15 and go swim. And did you experiment with sleep deprivation to acclimate to that, like waking up in the middle of the night and going well, to work out and stuff? Here is the great news. I do that already. Oh, you do? Uh, All right. Last night, yeah. Mel's like, how That's are like you? SEAL training. Mel's like, <laughs> how are you still awake? And I was like, I don't sleep. No. She's like, I told her, I was like, I'm going to be up at three o'clock in the morning. And then what? Do you, I found a 24-hour ca- cafe. So when I was, um, so I don't sleep very much, and that's the good news. But when I was... Um, training for Epic Five and I'd get really tired and I would go to sleep like at nine, I would wake up at 2 a.m. 100% awake. Right. And I would, yeah, just get up and go train. And it is a gift. And that's one of the things I think that makes me 
Mm, Um, But you know what? The gift of being able to fall asleep. (laughs) Mel was like, oh, I fall asleep and I sleep. And two seconds later, she was dead asleep. Uh And I'm looking at her like, I was looking at her like, she really is going to sleep all night. Like, look at, like, who are you? You sleep all night. (laughs) I I sleep and I wake up. And then she sleeps Uh and she wakes up like a gazillion hours later. And she was like, that felt great. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I toss and I turn. I don't, I don't sleep well. So I I don't have to practice with sleep deprivation because that's, that's kind of my life already, mm. which makes me, I think, a little bit better to ha- train to handle it when it comes right. to mm. Mel, sure. what's it, what's training look like? So I didn't do those bigger weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I think my biggest week was probably about uh, 30 hours. Um, and I would, because when I was training for Epic 5, I'd changed jobs. Yeah, so I was doing a Monday to Friday job. So that made it a lot easier because before that I was doing shift work. So I'd be doing like mornings, afternoons, night shifts. I did mm-hmm. a, um, a really heavy block of training for Ultraman Australia when I was on night shift. And so that was my sleep deprivation training. Mm. That was, yeah, full on. I was so not a nice person. work all night and then catch a nap and then train? Yeah. Wow. And then go back to bed and have another nap and then go to work. Right. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that, that kind of pressure me going, well, if I can manage that, that's okay. Because, I mean, I do sleep and I sleep like seven, eight hours a night, but I can nap as well. I can lie down on the couch, right. nap for half an hour, get up, go to work. Like it was, yeah, I'm a very good shift worker in that way. But I'd changed jobs and I was um, working Monday to Friday so I could train before and after work every day. So my hours would probably be between about two to four hours a day um, each Monday to Friday. And then on the weekends, I'd do generally about seven, eight hour days right. um, on the weekends, every weekend. So mm-hmm. where I live in Melbourne, I'm about a 45 minute drive away from some really good hills. I mean, my hills are not compared to what your hills are. Like my longest hill, I could probably ride about seven Ks. But, but Melbourne is great for cycling, right? It's really like, good. It's like oh, the cycling capital of, of Australia. Very much so. Yeah. So if I want to ride flat, I'm riding with thousands of cyclists every, you know, every weekend. Um, if I want to ride hills, there's cyclists everywhere. And I go to places where there is cyclists because in the cars, I mean, there's, you know, people who don't like cyclists, but there's a lot of people who expect them. So then they drive a little bit differently and it's a little bit safer. So mm-hmm. I kind of look at it. Yeah. So I'd use the week, like during the week, it'd be my, you know, do a bit of strength work, do a bit of speed work in all disciplines. Um, so, you know, my Kate would get me to, um, you know, have a swim week, a bike week, a run week. So I'd have extra sessions on whatever the focus was that week. And on the weekends, it was always heavy bike. So, um, you know, like seven hours ride, one hour run off the bike because she's like, you have to yeah. be strong and fit in swim and bike and then the run will just take care of itself. Like we won't focus so much on that mm-hmm. um, because it's about getting to the run as in best shape as you can right. then to get through that. Yeah, you can use the bike to develop that aerobic engine without all the load bearing yeah. that running, you know, yeah, absolutely. ends up, you know, creating injuries and, yeah. and all sorts of other issues. Yeah. And I didn't have any injuries in my prep, so wow. I was really lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. So when people come up to you and say, as invariably I'm sure they do, like, oh, I'd love to like do this or that, but like, I just don't have time. Yeah. I, <laughs> I say, I'm like, well, I make time. I never actually say I don't have time. I'm like, I have different priorities to you. Yeah. And that's, that's the way I kind of reframe it for people. People are like, oh, I'd love to do that. You know, I don't have time. I was like, well, you know, you, if you reprioritize, you know, you've got different things going on in your life at the time. But, you know, if you actually juggle things around. I actually don't have that many people saying they want to do Epic Five. To be no, honest. no. Like, shocking. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. am so shocked nobody is like, oh, my gosh, I want to do that. I've had like three people. <laughs> uh-huh. One girl who has her heart set on it and she's, she's 
is 100% committed to doing it, mm. which is amazing. Um, and you other could people, pay it forward by helping her. I Yeah, I have yeah. been. Yeah. Yeah. I said to her, I'm like, ask me any questions whatsoever. Like I'm an open book. Like I want to help you as much as I can. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really good. I really, really enjoy that. And then the two women who did it um, last year as well, you know, like both yeah. of us were in contact with them and just saying, you know, right. we'll help you as much as we can. You know, we, we want to help you be successful. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So four women have attempted. Correct. Yes. Three have completed it. Yes, right. Who's the third? Her name is Michelle Santiale, Santa, and Santiano. she's um, amazing. English mm. uh, swim, uh, ram finisher, arc to arch finisher. Oh, wow. So the fact that she yeah. when she messaged me, I, I was literally like, now why are you asking me again? <laughs> like, you did. She's like, I'm not a strong cyclist. I was like, uh, you finished Race Across America. You're fine. You're going right. to be fine. Like, you're good. Yeah. She's like, well, that was a ton of years ago. I mean, she's... Impressive, really mm. impressive. And that, you know, when we were talking about women racing, and that's one of the things that I really like appreciated so much about when Mel reached out, she was like, look, and it didn't matter if she had, she could have finished 25 Ultramans or two. She was like, look, like I want this to be the best experience possible. And if you've done it and you've learned anything, either positive or negative, and you're willing to share, mm -hmm. because sometimes you ask people and they're very vague. Or they, they want to be very elusive about it, yeah. or they don't really want you to finish, or they're threatened by the idea of, or they want to make it seem like it's impossible. Like they want to kind of like, right. oh gosh, you don't want to know about Epic Five. It was so, but yeah. I think it's a little different. And our approach is different where we're like, if you really want to commit and do this, like I'll absolutely help you finish mm. it. Yeah. 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 Like I'll tell you everything I know. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. I think what's amazing about um, the ultra world is that it's this great equalizer in sport because the longer the distance is, the less, the more parity there is between men and women, yeah. right? Mm. Like when you get into the crazy super long stuff, like yeah. then like we're all in this together yeah. and women are able to excel um, on an unbelievable level. I mean, when you see what Courtney DeWalter is doing yeah. right now, she's just crushing all the dudes. Yeah, it's like amazing, amazing right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I love the idea of, um, I mean, I embrace the the idea that you know once these kind of barriers are broken, then the floodgates are open. Like, you know, when Jason and I did it, like we didn't know whether it was possible or we could do it, and we struggled through it and mm -hmm. got it done, and you know, didn't get it done in five days, and now it's like a thing, and people mm -hmm. do it every year, and there's like three women who have crushed it, and I think that's so cool. Um, I love all of that, and I think it it basically puts out into the universe uh, a greater sense of what's possible in yeah. general. Yeah. So that, you know, James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy, can go out and do 50 Ironmans right. in 50 yeah. states in 50 days, which to this day, I still have trouble wrapping my head around. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, you know, it, it, it speaks to like that incremental, you know, progression of human beings doing things more and more difficult that right. allows us all to believe that we're capable of more than 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 we like to imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. Prone Absolutely. to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want more women to do ultra racing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So if there's anyone who contacts me, I'm like, yes, do it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll help. I'll tell you everything. I'll tell you everything you need everything. to know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean women are women are very underrepresented in the sport of ultra community and particularly in ultra cycling um, mm. and long distance bike uh, riding. And I think, you know, there's a lot of um, 
we both have very, very supportive partners who are um, very proud of what we do and yes. proud of the fact that we can go out and on any given day we might destroy them on the bike or, mm-hmm. or ride mm. for twice as long as they do. But not everybody has that situation and not everybody feels like, you know, they can they can do that. And yeah. so yeah. you can't do it without support at home. Oh no, no, no chance. No. It's a team yeah. sport. Yeah. yeah. It really is. Absolutely. It is. And people yeah. um they definitely underestimate how much support you're truly going to need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is a, some of these races are really like a community event. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And people don't get that. How do you guys think about yourselves as being role models for young women and other female athletes? Yeah. Um, I kind of find it, it's weird. I'm like, you know, because people are like, oh, you're such an inspiration. I'm like, Oh, really? I'm just an ordinary person doing yeah. fun things yeah. that I enjoy. But you are. Um, yeah, you thank know you. That. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And I think it's important for you to go out and tell the story yes. because yeah. you don't know the impact that your experience can have. Yeah. Like when you told the story of the, the young girl, you know, mm-hmm. in Molokai, mm-hmm. um, Will's daughter, like that's profound. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's huge. And that's so, like, you don't. You don't think about that or the fact that like one of my friend's daughters, they, you know, they can't wear Halloween costumes in school anymore. They have to dress up like a book character. And she literally dressed up like me for Halloween. And I was like, what? Like me? Like, are you serious? (laughs) I'm like, but what? And people, it's, so it, it has a level of responsibility Mm. with it that sometimes can feel like a little overwhelming. But I like the fact that at the end of the day, like we're we're average people. Like we work jobs. Like we we are. We were talking about how unassuming. Um, I, when I was in Kona a couple of weeks ago, this guy was you know the swim star. He made a comment about, oh, have you ever done Ironman? I said, oh yeah, I have. And my yeah. friend that was with me was like, oh, she did this race called Epic Five, <laughs> and he starts telling her about it. And he looked over at me. He goes, what did you weigh like a hundred pounds when you did it? And I was like, no, I was just large like I am now. <laughs> I like the fact that. Um, we can be like regular people who don't look like professional athletes. Uh-huh. Yeah. You wouldn't ever look at us and be like, oh, wow, that person can totally ride her bike across the country. But then you can. Yeah. So you're breaking a lot of stigmas around like how you should look or how you should act or how you should – like those people must not have jobs. Like that's yeah. what people will say. That's well, what you people must, ask all the time. You must not work. Yeah. Well, because it's easier for train. them to you know, feel okay about how they're living. Right, right. Yeah. right. They can yeah. be dismissive. Yeah, yeah. like, oh, well, you just – They don't really well, have course. to confront it. And I'm yeah. like, well, no, I mean, but if but I don't watch television. Like when people say, well, you don't have time, I'm like, well, how much time do you spend a week watching TV? Yeah. yeah. I don't watch TV. Right. So if you don't watch or TV, say, and not much, and then like, all right, well, how much football do you watch on yeah. Sunday? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. six hours. You You're know. like, oh, that's not much. <laughs> but people, I mean, people make you make uh-huh. a, whatever's a priority in your life. You yeah. make it a priority. Yeah. In the same, you know, when I look at the people that I race with, and I look at the people that I train with, and recently, um, I was at the pool swimming, and when I was in the locker room, like. Nine out of the people, nine out of like the 15 women that were in the locker room showering after the swim were all doctors. Like they were all physicians and surgeons. And this um, woman was talking to me about Epic Five and she's like, I just don't know how you did it. And I was like, well, how did you get through medical school? Like, how'd you get through your residency? Like, Mm. how'd you get through law school? Mm. That same grit, that's, I mean, that's what it is. Mm. It's just grit. And that's the difference is whatever, like you either have it or you kind of don't. Like the people that, you know, have it and figure out a way to get their PhD when, you know, 
they weren't very well educated growing up. Like those are the people that are going to excel in this kind of sport because yeah. they've just got it. I think, I think you can have it, but also you can develop it yeah. as well. I think that's something that I like, I don't take my mental strength for granted. I build it up over time. Every training block for a new race, I will start, you know, and go, okay, you know, focus on this, focus on that, and then keep developing and building it all the time. I don't just rely on it being there when I need it as well. So I think it is, yeah, you know, like a muscle, right. you can, you can improve it and work on it. Yeah. And what's driving all of this? Like, this is the why question, right? Like, <laughs> why do you do it? Why do you do it? What are you trying to learn? What is it doing for you? What is the, you know, what is the driving force that compels you to tackle these challenges? And I'm sure the answer is different for each of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know your why. Um, yeah, I guess for me, um, what I said before, it's trying to find the limit. Um, you know, trying to to push myself. And I guess. You know, I, I grew up... But why? Yeah, why, why, yeah. why? The um, why behind the why. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, I grew up, you know, like I, I don't feel like I'm any kind of extraordinary person. And I had a lot of people doubting that I was actually able to do my first Ultraman and then, you know, and even Epic Five. And so I guess some of it's a bit of like, well, I'll prove to you that I can. You know, there's a little bit of ego in it. It has to be, you know, that's normal. That's natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just because I, I want to see how mentally far I can push myself and how physically far I can push myself myself until, you know, I just, I can't do it anymore. And like, I can't, I, I haven't found that point. So I'm still searching. I'm still trying to, to go and like keep going and go beyond that. And right. I guess the enjoyment that I get from really digging deep is just like, it's just like nothing else in my life just to be able to get to, get to that. I don't know. I, I, I don't really feel like I have one particular thing that is, this is why it's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other things. You know, I, I really enjoy, you know, I, I love the sport. I love, you know, going out for, you know, riding for 10 hours just because, you know, I decided to ride from here to there and it took me a long time to right. get there. Yeah. And it's, it's just, you know, like next year, um, I'm looking to do Uberman as well. Mm. And that's going to be my next, mm-hmm. you know, massive thing. I'm like, all right, well, you know, am I able to do that? That scares me. Let's do it. Right. Let's sign up so for that. So explain to people what Uberman <laughs> is because this is really something else. Yeah. So um, I, I don't really... I know the guy who came up with this ah, crazy hair burning Okay. Idea. He lives here in Malibu. Oh, does he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good to know. Um, yeah. So the swim is the Catalina Channel swim. So it's 33, 34 kilometer swim. I don't know miles. Um, and then the bike is just over 600 kilometers and you finish at the start of where the um, Badwater Run starts and then you mm-hmm. do the Badwater Run at the end of it. So there's, I, I like in the fact that there's no cutoff. So you start and then you finish whenever you finish. Like right. I'm, you know, obviously I'm going to try. You could do it over the course of a year if you want. If you really wanted right. to. I'm not going to take a year. Yeah. So <laughs> basically year it's the, you swim from Catalina to Palos Verdes and then you do RAM, essentially, right. and then you run bad water. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's, a, it's another challenge. And, it, yeah, you know, as I said, it's something that scares me. Like, Epic Five intimidated the hell out of me. And I was like, I want to give it a go. Just, you know, put it out there, see if I can do it. You know, why not? Just right. give it a go. Yeah. So, and I... You know, I do like it. Like one of my one of my good friends, his daughter, who's eight. You know, he was telling her about this, and so she wrote me a card that actually I have with me, and it's it's beautiful. And he goes to me, oh, by the way, she expects you to win. I was like, oh, okay, right. <laughs> no pressure, not going to win. But anyway, um, but yeah, like you know, she feels really inspired by it, and I'm like, that's that's amazing. So mm. there's a whole bunch of whys in that, and yeah, just. 
because I can. Yeah, Danny. <laughs> I think for me, like working in geriatrics and working with older adults, and when I started doing long distance racing, I was working in a retirement home, and every day people would get up and they would um, go to the library and they would drink coffee, and I would constantly hear people talking about stuff they didn't do. And Regrets. like people mm. never said, I missed like the season finale of Grey's Anatomy in 2008, or oh my God, I can't believe that I, that I, it, it always had to do with like travel, or I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. And that was about the same time that like that YOLO hashtag, you know, you only live once was coming out. And I really started thinking about that and, and thinking like one day I'm going to be sitting in this retirement home and I'm going to be like, I did everything that I could. Like I went all the places I could afford to go. I put my body through every physical limitation possible. If it sounded cool, I wanted, and I wanted to do it, then I did it. And I just like literally want to be at the end of my life saying like, I gave it all, like I'm empty. There's nothing left. Mm -hmm. Like I just did everything that I could. And for me, it's, you know, in a lot of ways I feel I feel really grateful because I was in a really bad accident where I got hit by a drunk driver and the doctor's like, you're probably never going to be able to run again. Oh, wow. When was that? How long ago was that? In 2006. Hmm. Yeah. So I I feel, you know, I feel really grateful for the fact that I can do anything because I realize, you know, I got hit going like 50 miles an hour. I crushed his windshield and I landed in a gravel parking lot. My leg was completely in shambles. And so... To be able to recover from that and then have any kind of resemblance of activity or a healthy lifestyle afterwards, like that's a huge gift. Yeah. But then to even take it even further, like I don't, you know, I say attitude of gratitude, but I really, I mean, I mean it. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I wake up and I feel like I'm grateful for this and it is, you know, the stuff is out there. So why would we, like, why would I hold back on myself? Like, you know, you make promises to other people and, and you feel so guilty when you like break a promise to somebody else, but people break promises to themselves all the time. Yeah. Like you always, you sign up for a race and then you you bail on yourself. You're like, oh, well, I'm not, mm. maybe I'm not going to do that. Or you, you have a goal like, oh, I want to learn how to sew. And then you're like, oh no. But if you, if somebody else, you, you know, you had that commitment to them, you mm-hmm. would try so hard to make it. But I'm like, you owe that to yourself too. How come you didn't end up becoming a Navy SEAL? <laughs> is it too late? Is it I don't too know. Late? I think you would not. be a badass SEAL. I mean, you have uh, everything. You you have everything. Is it too late? To and this is, this I don't is know. The part. You would know. Ask your husband. <laughs> this is the part that's really funny about our relationship that people, like, and Rebecca has met him, so she'll understand. So I can't remember where we were in RAM, and um, I couldn't feel my toes. And I was like, oh my gosh, baby, I don't have any feeling in my toes. He goes, it doesn't matter. You don't need toes to ride bikes. <laughs> yes. And that was it. And he goes, yes. he goes, yeah. he goes get back Shut down. No sympathy there. <laughs> he goes, get back on your bike. And that, like when I was training for Epic Five or he was like, if you sign up for this, there is no complaining. Like in our house, there mm-hmm. is a rule. You wanted this. You do not complain. He is, and I, I had like a mechanical issue one time on my bike, like, five hours into a ride that was supposed to be seven or eight hours. And I, I was so frustrated because I was just, I was having such a good ride. And I came home, he goes, get your ass on the trainer and finish. He was like, there's no reason why you can't finish a ride. You have a trainer upstairs. Right. Go finish. Nice. And that's kind of that. Yeah, <laughs> I've done that. Like that level, oh my God. Are you guys going to have kids? <laughs> I'm like terrified for your child. Like that's that you level know, like, of accountability that, um, uh-huh. that like very few people, like there's, you know, you don't, you don't, 
get that. You don't, you don't have people that are telling you, well, yeah, you can totally do that. Like mm. when Mel's telling me about this race, I'm like, wait, when is it? Like, <laughs> like uh-huh. I want to do it, but you know, th- you guys got to do it together after this. Uh, Come yeah. on, we met today. <laughs> yeah. you gotta, well, you have to do something together. We do. Yeah. yeah. We got to, yeah. we got to find something together. I'm yeah. doing, we're doing race across the West in June. Of so that's the thousand are. mile bike race. Yeah, so I'm really excited about that. So we're gonna try to go real fast there. So um yeah, so that's my next goal. So we're we're trying to right. we're trying to ride our we're gonna time trial for a thousand miles and see oh how that turns God. out. And Mel, your next race is coming up quick here. Yes, it is. Ultraman World Championships. Yeah. You're headed to Hawaii for last minute prep. Yeah. Yeah. Super excited for you. Very excited. Thank you. Um it's such an amazing race and yeah. such an amazing community of people. Yeah. Um, interestingly, in the wake of the volcanoes, they've had to change the course, right? So how yeah. are they working that this year? So um, the swim's the same. Day one bike is out and back and it finishes back in Kona because they can't go to volcano. Um, the, right. mili- the place where they stay, the military base is closed. Well, it was. I presume it's still closed. So just for people that are listening, yeah. it's three-day stage race, double Ironman, you circumnavigate traditionally the big island of Hawaii. The first day is a 6.2 mile swim and then a 90 mile bike that takes you from uh, that, what is that bay um, where you finish the swim? I can I never what remember called. the name of it. Um, but you ride up to Volcano National Park, the last 20 miles of which are some, it's like a crazy 4,000 foot climb yeah. with all these headwinds and everything. Yeah. But because of the volcano, you can't go up there. Yeah. You can't go down the backside. No, the really backside, where, one of the roads yeah. is completely taken out. I think by the, the, red, the red road the is, is like the most beautiful, pristine part of the whole island has yeah. just been washed out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, lava's just overtaken so the road. when they say yeah. out and back, you're riding out to where and back, do you know? Uh, good question. I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. When oh, I get there, on. I'll have a look. Uh-huh. She <laughs> needs, See, this she is needs where, a binder. Yeah, Danny would have this question <laughs> answered for sure. She needs a binder you know? for sure. I do, yeah. but do you know sure. what? I, I, just I read... made a binder for Ultraman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of more on the Danny side. Of this. Yeah, no. I'll, I'll I, a, uh-huh. I ran New York Marathon on Sunday and people were like, where's the oh, run you go? Oh, right. you just ran the Yeah, line, yeah. and I was like, um, Staten Island to Manhattan. They go, where do you go through? And I was like, a few of the boroughs. Yeah, there'll I don't be know. plenty of people to follow. I like, won't be leading, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> She's like, I'm just going to follow uh, the masses. The oh, weather yeah. was great, right? It looked amazing. Oh, it was amazing. amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was beautiful. Beautiful run. Had so much fun. But yeah, I, I don't really care about the courses. Right. You know, if there's hills coming up, I'm like, oh yeah, about this distance, I'll be, you know, doing a climb or whatever. But I... Honestly, I don't really know a lot about the courses and I don't look, uh-huh. you know, I'm not that not that yeah. prepared. I don't have a binder. It um, actually is easy to get lost um, because you're so separate from, you know what I mean? Like yeah. your crew really needs to know where they're going. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, I rely on my crew, crew yeah. for that because, I mean, when I did Epic 5, I had all the maps on my Garmin just in case we got separated and I took a couple of wrong turns and uh-huh. did get a little bit lost. I've never figured was... out how to read the maps on the Garmin. Oh, it's it so beeps tiny, at you. I can't even it see never it. never worked. It starts yeah. beeping at you when you're off course, but you have to download them. Like, it never worked for me. Yeah. So it would constantly tell me I was off course. Yeah, it's wonky. Yeah. They haven't And then I was like, yet. oh, forget it. Yeah. Just... It, it helped a little bit, but we did take a couple of wrong turns. But, but all right, so fine. then out and back, 90 out and back miles. Stay and then... St. Kona. And then the second day, we go... Um, over is it Station Road? I think there's a new road that's through the middle of the island that they've oh. um, they've made, and so we still finish in Harvey and we Harvey. still do the same run, but we don't go through the Kahalas anymore either. Oh, they couldn't wow. get permits for that part of the road, so they've completely changed it, and it ended up going from fourteen thousand feet down to thirteen thousand feet 
and a bit um, mm. of elevation for the day two bike because I cut out the Kahalas, which oh, I'm wow. a bit upset about because I really love. Do you still ride the Hapuna Coast though before that? That's like the north uh, eastern I'm kind pretty of sure. End. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, super we do hard come up the top. and windy yeah. and windy and lots of ups and downs. Um, but yeah, that yeah. day two bike, the kicker is that you have to finish by going over the Kahalas, which are the biggest climbs on, yeah. on the Big Island. Yeah, so we're not we're not doing that bit anymore. Right. That's yeah, there's other climbs. So it's taken the elevation down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the road through the middle apparently it's I think it's like a twenty mile climb or something. So mm. it's Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. It's gonna be interesting. You wouldn't want them to make it easy. Yeah. No, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. And easy. you know, like on Facebook, you're like, now that's an ultraman course. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, whatever right. it is, it is. Maybe it's harder. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think the elevation's more, but I don't I don't know if that's gonna make it harder. Uh-huh or what it is because I haven't done it before so I don't have a comparison yeah. to it. Like I've been around the island in a car but that's different, right. you know, you can't, can't compare to that. Right. Yeah. And when people think about the big island you th- and, and think about triathlon, you think about Ironman World Championships which is known for the heat and the headwinds and all of that. And you mm. certainly have headwinds at Ultraman but it's not really hot. I mean, it is mm. hot on the run, but not hot like it is in October. Yeah. It's not quite, yeah. it's really not that bad. Yeah. I mean, it, you could have a crazy heat wave or whatever. Um, and the other parts of the island actually it was like cold and it was like raining. And, you know, it's not what you think of when you think of Hawaii. No. The day I went to Volcano, like during touristing, it was actually really cold. When well, I it's got freezing out the up there. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. You wake the in the morning. This is Hawaii. And then yeah. you have to do this like 15 mile descent, and yeah. it's almost always raining. Yeah. I mean, the pavement's soaking wet. It's very, it's wet very over treacherous. There. Yeah. yeah. The day after I finished Epic Five, again, won't be surprising. You went out and trained. Jason woke up and he goes, <laughs> Come on, let's go. And I was like, Go where? He's like, We got to sightsee. We drove the entire circumference of the island. Oh, you did? Yeah. It takes you like 10 hours. It takes you the whole day. And then you're like, everywhere. wait, this race. He was like, like, Black Sand Beach, let's go. Uh-huh. Green Sand Beach, let's go. Come on, Volcanoes National Park. Come on, we're going to see all these things. And I was like, that all right, we're going to get it all. That dude needs to chill. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he needs a little mindfulness practice. I know. Maybe. That's, Be present. That's, he should. He, he does need a mindfulness practice. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll talk to him about that. We'll see. You can still have your binder. Okay. Yes. Just like hit pause once in a while, right? Yep. Yep. That was the on the ongoing joke when we were in Kona. We had like fifty people that came to to help cheer for Brent and Kyle. And um, explain a little bit more about. Oh yeah. So my sorry. So my coach is Brent Pease, and he and his brother Kyle Pease. Um, Kyle's got cerebral palsy. And so when they race um, and they were invited to do Ironman World Championship, it was their fourth Ironman. Mm-hmm. Um, they swam like a 107, which is unbelievable. Crazy fast. He's um, pulling Kyle. He's pulling Kyle in a boat. And then they ride a modified trek, like a three-wheel bike um, that adds a significant amount of weight. It's like made out of steel. Right. Um, and then he pushes him running, doing a, a race chair. And he, they finished um, in 14 and a half hours. Wow. They were the second ever duo assist team to finish Kona outside of the Hoyts, which was right. awesome. Oh, the Hoyt, wow. Everybody knows the Hoyts. Yeah. But, and, yeah and Kyle, so they started a foundation and that is what we do is like they went to Marine Corps this weekend mm-hmm. and had like 21 teams that finished. So we take... Um, People who have, you know, various, um, you know, levels of being differently abled, and we take them to these sporting events, and they're able to participate with other people, and that doesn't really exist. So there might be, you know, modified baseball or basketball, but it's uncommon that you would go to a marathon and see people running, pushing people in, mm. in race chairs. Yeah. 
It's really cool. Super cool. So that's the whole idea behind right. the group. So when we were in Kona, that was kind of the ongoing joke was around the notebook. And uh-huh. um, what are we going to do on this day? I don't know. Check, Danny, check your notebook. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think uh, people most misunderstand about these races and what you guys do? Like when you're just, when people ask you about it or... Um, I think that people just think it's, it's too, too big, can't do it, impossible, you know, and they, they think that we are just extra superhuman or like super athletes or, you know, just something absolutely incredible that's over there that is just, you know, far too far out of people's reaches, whereas I don't see that at all. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the biggest things that people are like, I could never do what you do. You must be so fit. You must be so super strong and everything. And I was like, yeah, you know, you build it up over time, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of this superhuman, like godlike almost that people put you up on pedestal. I'm like, yeah, that's not, I don't really agree at all. I don't have very many people putting me on pedestals, but <laughs> yeah. I do. Somehow people think that like, I must get paid to do this. I'm like, oh, it's the complete right. opposite. Yeah. Must be nice. Yeah. 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 Like, like, must like, be they're like, God, yeah. it must be great to get paid to go so much sh- money ride your bike. The There's, and I'm like, look, like Justin's <clears throat> nut butter might send me like, like a hundred packs of almond butter. And I'm excited about that. Like that's, uh-huh. there is no money in this. Like there's, yeah. there is nothing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the total opposite. Like I'm, pouring all these resources into doing it. No, there is nothing in there. Um, So it's this huge misconception that like, you know, you must, you must be paid to do this. Or sponsored. Yeah, you're sponsored. There's a lot of money and everybody is, you know, looks like a, like a racehorse. Yeah. Right. Have you seen this um, documentary called 3100 Run and Become? No. So I had the filmmaker on the podcast. Actually, there's a screening this Friday night. I'm going to do a live Q&A with the filmmaker and this guy, Knox Robinson, afterwards. But it's about um, this ultra run called the Self-Transcendence Run, which is a 3,100-mile run around a half-mile block in Queens, New York. I've heard about that. That Sri Shinmoy started, the the guru. Uh, And you basically run from 6 a.m. to midnight every day, and you got a clock about basically around, I think it's 30 miles a day in order to stay on track, and you just do it until you've (laughs) gone 3,100 miles. It's literally around a half-mile city, like just a nondescript block in Queens, which is just outside New York City. And it follows the stories of a couple of the competitors. It's pretty small, there aren't that many people there. But when you watch these people, they look like, they don't look like athletes. They look like just, Mm. you would never think like, oh my God, that guy just ran 3,100 miles Mm. over the course of a summer. He just, he's just a dude, Mm. you know? And the women, the same thing. Yeah. And I think that disabuses people of this idea of what an ultra athlete looks like. Mm. Yeah. And it begs the question of, um, where the mental game ends and the physical game begins. Like if you had to answer how much of this is mental or emotional versus physical aptitude, like how do you think about that? I'd say probably be 80-20 split, 80 mental, 20 physical. You can only Mm -hmm. physically train so much. Yeah. Yeah. You can only yeah. be so fit and then, yeah, everything else has to be and the And the mental. body is going to give out before them. It's the exactly. mind that Absolutely. is the limiter. I agree. Yeah. And so we were talking about yeah. this. It's interesting because I will get at the gym, people would be like, oh, you must be a CrossFit athlete or you're, or you're oh, wait, you ride bikes? Like you're a lot. Well, you're so big. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry I don't look the way you think I should look to to be able to do this, but it's right. I mean, it, it's it's how you – it's how you think. I mean, it yeah. is, your body is going to give up. And 
you know, I think if you went out and did like FTP testing or lactic threshold or all this on ultra people that are successful, I think they would probably be more like middle of the pack than you would yeah, realize. That like has they're no not bearing gonna be, on no, They're really not going to be that amazing. Like you might not look at people's numbers and be like, oh my gosh, like look at her. VO2 max is like through mm. the roof. Mm. What's well, not? Right. I just suffer. You probably better. have a low like, resting heart rate, though. I do. I do. <laughs> I just like my skill is that I can like out suffer you. Thirty. Like I will out. Like I will out yeah. suffer you, and yeah. that's what I'm better at. If yeah. we are both miserable, I can be miserable for a lot longer than you can. Right. Yeah. And yeah. how do you train that? Do you train that simply by continuing to place yourself in those positions where you're tested, or are there specific things that you do, visualization, or like I don't know, like are there things that you do outside of swim, bike, run? To test that in yourself? Yeah. I mean, I do think that, um, yeah, I mean, that's the whole doing something every day that I don't want to do, um, forcing myself to to be in uncomfortable situations. And I will do things that I think are miserable. Like I'll run for three hours on the treadmill with no music and just sit there and look at nothing. Mm-hmm. Like I will train myself to be bored or train myself to be miserable in that capacity um, Do you sleep in a chair sitting up like like, <laughs> like Goggins does? No, but I should. But when you I should, first, yeah. I, when I, I first, you're thinking about it. When I you're first like, started training, yeah. like I know, when uh-huh. I first started training, I used to like eat things that were really ridiculous, and then I would go out and run. So when I was training for Epic Five, I would um, there's a there's a pool that's like eight miles from our house, and I would run with a pack on my back and swim. And then sometimes I would have to run back and sometimes I wouldn't. And I used to ask Jason to bring me a towel. And he goes, you're training for Epic Five. The last thing you need to be worried about is drying off. Uh-huh. He was like, if you need a towel, we have bigger problems. Right. And that was just that whole, I'm about to I thought you were going to say you were going to call him to have him pick you up. Oh, he would like, never what? do that. <laughs> <laughs> he would never. There was one time. There was one time I thought about calling him to pick me up. And I was uh-huh. like, he would laugh at me and be like, you have to find a way home. And it's not going to be me. Right. Yeah, sorry. Holy shit. Yeah, like it's he's not, he's not, he is not picking, he is not. <laughs> but I'm not married to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you get he's a little fantastic. more sympathy at home? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, a little bit more. Good. Yeah. I feel better. <laughs> no, there's no, but he'll tell uh-huh. you, like you're, he'll say you're the toughest person I know. Like he'll be like, mm. you're the, so yeah, I was going to say like it. you did Epic Five, he didn't. Yeah, yeah like right? he will tell you you're the, he will say like you are the toughest person I know, like you don't need it, like you're fine. Yeah. He'll always be like, you're fine, like you're so tough, like you're fine. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we got to round this thing down, um, but I want to leave people with um, a little bit of insight that they can, you know, take away from both of your experiences. Um, there's a lot of people that feel stuck, or they feel like they're incapable of tackling difficult challenges, or their life circumstances aren't such that um, they can participate in these things. I think people in general uh, tend to. Uh, underestimate their aptitude and their abilities and their potential. And both of you are just beautiful, bright, shining stars and examples of what's possible when you apply yourself rigorously towards a goal that most people would dissuade you from or tell you is impossible. Yeah. 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 I think I had a... um, So I have a quote and it's been written on a... It's been written on a, a chalkboard and it says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. And then underneath it, it says 5-5-16, which was the date of the race. And it's literally been sitting in my bathroom since I decided to do Epic 5. And that's 
Like that's what I will I will tell people. I'll be like, that's really what you're afraid of. You're not afraid of what you can't do. You're more mm. people people tend to get more afraid about what they they can do when they really start to think about it. Right. They're afraid like they say fear of success, but it's really fear of what happens if you put all of yourself on the line for something. Right. Because that's a terrifying, very vulnerable thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's fear of commitment, there's fear fear of failure. Like, you know, Mel was talking about how many people, like when you do these races like RAM, we had 11 people on our crew. Like the fear of the fact that we paid for 11 people to be out here with us. What if we let these people down? Like that's a huge, like for Brent and Kyle racing Kona, physically Brent was like, I'm in the best shape of my entire life. He's like, but this isn't just about me. There are 50 people that paid their own money to be here and watch me race. He's mm-hmm. like, I can't let them down. Like it's just the that that pressure. Mm-hmm. I guess for me, um, I have a lot of people, you know, just going, well, I could never do what you can do. And I said, well, what can you do? You know, it's like, you know, people are like, oh, you know, they always talk their achievements down, which really drives me insane. Oh, uh-huh. you know, I just oh, ran a you marathon. Did, you, you did a little bit of that oh. earlier. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, but That's do a that, very like, Aussie thing. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like I, I know not many people at work actually know what I do outside of work. Uh-huh. And if, you know. That's shocking. Yeah. <laughs> And it's really funny because my friends actually brag for me. Like I'll be, you know, I'll say, oh, you know, yeah, I do triathlons. And they're like, no, 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 you tell them, you tell them what you do. Like you've, you've done all this. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, fair enough. So no, I do a bit of that. But I also pick up when other people say, oh, you know, I ran a 5k, but you know, that's nothing like what you do. And I'm like, that is amazing. Like celebrate your achievements. You know, obviously, you know, you don't have to do what I do. But, you know, whatever you're doing, that's amazing. You know, mm-hmm. if that means, you know, you can get up off the couch and walk around the block, awesome. Celebrate that. You know, like just, um, you know, just start somewhere. Like I had to start somewhere, you know, everybody has to. Right. So I think that's probably, probably the biggest thing. And I draw inspiration from other people doing what they can do as well. Like I look to other people, you know, I've got, you know, friends who like ran the first marathon and I'm like, that is awesome. Like that inspires me as well. So I draw energy from, from that as well. And yeah. yeah, like when you're talking about visualization before, when I sign up for races, I visualize the finish line. That's always for me what I what I think about, you know, when I'm like struggling on something and then I'll be like, no, no, how amazing is that finish line going to be? So that's, yeah, that's mm. one of the things that I, I always do as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, to that point, um, you know, Danny, what you said about when you started and you were severely overweight mm-hmm. and, ha- you know, you could just go to the gym for 15 or do 15 minutes or whatever it is. Right. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary what you're doing now in juxtaposition to right. that because I think a lot of people can relate to, you know, being in that place and, exactly. and being afraid to go to the gym because right. going into mm. a gym when you're out of shape is a very intimidating thing. And I was thing. mortified. I was scared to death at the gym. I had no idea what I was doing. I was embarrassed by how I looked. I wore these huge baggy clothes and that's you know, when I tell people, I'm like, there is like, I'm not like a college athlete. Like I, I was, I'm a really normal person. Like it doesn't, it's not as, it's not quite as scary as you think, but you're right. I mean, you have to, short stuff is hard and 5Ks hurt. Oh, and oh my God, are, yes. <laughs> things are as hard as you make them. And mm-hmm. so just don't say, well, I only did an Olympic yeah. or I only did a sprint yeah. or I just did, you know, things are absolutely as hard as you, as you want them to be and as hard as you, as you make them. And they can really, really hurt yeah. uh, for sure. Um, but not minimizing and, you know, just a kind of accepting it's also just accepting kind of where you are. And, you know, we went and swam together and I had, got, of course, gotten lost on this uh, hike. And it's amazing that I didn't get eaten by a mountain lion. Um, 
and then I survived three hours later. But um, when I was joking around and I said, you know, I swam for 15 minutes and she swam for an hour and it's not like, oh, well, why can't I swim for an hour? That's not where I am in my life right now. Like mm-hmm. that's not, that's not what I'm like, I'm not supposed to be there. Like my place is not, you know, I am excited that Mel is going into an Ultraman next week, but I'm not there. Like mm-hmm. that's not, and just, so not comparing yourself, like don't get right. into that you know, comparison really is a thief of all joy. So don't get into that habit of saying, well, why can't I go out on a two-hour run with Mel? Well, because it's been months since you ran more than, you know, five miles. Uh-huh. So that's just not where I'm at. Mm. Yeah, being comfortable training where you are where you currently sit as yeah. opposed to where you think you should be or used to be. I right. Think it's one thing I say all the time, and I think it's super, you know, um, important and helpful. And I also you know, appreciate and respect the incremental progression of both of your mm. stories, right? Like it just, this, this, this happened over a long period of time of just slowly increasing, you know, the intensity and the volume and the distances and challenging yourself just a little bit more than you did before. Mm. And, you know, sure enough, it takes you to this place where people are like, holy cow, I can't believe you did that. Mm-hmm. And I think it speaks to this idea that, that, a lot of people tend to overestimate what they can do in a month or a year. Like, I'm going to do this thing. And, you know, generally people flame out on that goal before they even get to that year, or they're discouraged because they haven't reached some crazy goal in a compressed period of time. But if you just commit to the process and that little progressive incremental growth that is almost imperceptible, you know, five years, seven years down the line, like, mm. look what you're able to accomplish. So it's about like staying in the game, right? And continuing to remain engaged with that goal that you seek. Yeah, yeah definitely. Absolutely. I mean, consistency is key. And yes. you can't look at, at something like Ultraman and think, well, she just signed up for that after she did her first Ironman or something. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of miles in our body. Right. And we started off on a very normal progression, like with a 5K, with a Mm. 10K. My first, you know, my first race had a 200-yard pool swim Uh and a 10-mile bike. Mm. Yeah. And that's... I mean, that was was all I could have done at that point. And if somebody had told you then you're going to do RAM... I would have I would have died well, laughing. You were like, what is Ram? Well, yeah, I had <laughs> no idea what it was. <laughs> yeah. Although I will tell you, when Jason and I first started dating, I found this email that I, that I had sent him, and I said it was the Race Across America website, and this is like ten years ago. And I was like, hey, I found this website. Look how ridiculous this is. Oh uh-huh. wow! And it's the same thing, like the whole rich role. And I was like, and I I remember Jason being like, there's no way we could ever do that because we like logistics and we like. You know, he's like, oh, logistically, that sounds like a disaster. They lost their nuts and bolts? No Um, way. He's like, oh, no, no, no. There's no way. There's no way. And I'm like, they're crazy. But then you just, you don't know. Yeah. You never say never. Like, I'm sure you read at some point, you read about Ultraman and was like, oh, that's crazy. Oh, you know, I read it and I went, I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Uh that's fun. (laughs) Where do I sign? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Well, cool. How are we going to get more female athletes, more women engaged in ultra sports? It's it's interesting. Um, I heard someone say, I have no idea who it was, but they said that um, women need to be 80% confident that they're going to finish before they sign up for something, whereas men need mm-hmm. to be 20% confident. Like it's just that whole uh, disparity. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it, 
like I look at people in my life and it's really true. Like I know for myself, like I had to, you know, four years of planning before I got to Ultraman because I was like, okay, let's step it out. You know, I need the distance in my, you know, all the training under my belt. all figured out. Yeah, yeah. Even and if you didn't have a binder. Well, <laughs> I did not have a binder. It was that in your was mind my- <laughs> though. The binder was in committed to yeah. memory. Yeah, and you know, for me, it was, I've only just started in the sport. I need to get all that base miles before I can start training for that. Otherwise, I'm just going to break down. It's not going to be possible. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it's getting people to that confidence level to say, yes, you actually can. And just, you know, even like dipping your toe in the water, like, you know, not just, but, you know, like doing a 100K run and then, okay, so then moving up from that, not necessarily, you know, going from Ironman to Ultraman like, you know, we did, although if they, you know, they did, that'd be amazing. But trying to figure out how to develop that confidence of, yes, this is actually possible and then then getting to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think not being overwhelmed by the fact that, um, you know, when you look at results or you look at, um, you know, I did a 24 hour bike race out here in Brago Springs and like there was me and Shauna Hogan racing and that was it. And she's like Ram record holder, record holder for five gazillion, um, you know, races. She's had records since like I was a baby, literally since the eighties, not getting caught up in the fact that, well, why aren't there more women that are signed up? And it's, you know, the longer in triathlon, the longer distance races, um, the percentage of men to women, it will start to shift. And so yeah. once you get past that 70.3 distance, it really starts to lean more uh, more towards men. And I do agree that it's a confidence issue. Mm-hmm. And it's the confidence also sometimes around the training. Um, well, how am I going to be considered a bad mom if I sign up for an Ironman? Like, am I going to be, yeah. are people going to judge me? Are they mm-hmm. going to, are they going to make me feel guilty? And, um, you know, people don't say the same things about men. Like nobody, when I go on a ride with a guy, nobody's like, well, who's watching your kids? Mm-hmm. Like it's, you have to, you have to level that out at some point and yeah. you've got to, so you got to surround yourself by people that support you and find other women that can not judge you and support it for right. sure. Mm. And then not be overwhelmed when you look at something and think, well, there must be a reason why other women aren't doing it. Well, the reason is because we all kind of have to come together and take that first step. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Um, I can't end this without taking a moment to formally and publicly thank the great Rebecca Morgan for all of her amazing work. I know. None of this would be possible or would have happened without her tireless commitment to um, not just Epic Five, but, you know, Rebecca and I go way back. I mean, she's a big part of my story going back through early Ultramans and has always been like an angel there, somebody who is really of selfless service. And it's so cool to see that you've taken over this race and you're running it and you're, you're, you're um, making it available to so many people and that there are these kick-ass women who are crushing <laughs> it right now. It's super cool. So can you just come over here and say hi? I want to hear your voice. So Hi, this is everyone. Rebecca Morgan. If you read, if you read Finding Ultra, you know who she is. And uh, thank you. I love you, Rebecca. Oh, I love you too. Yeah, we so, love you so too, Rebecca. Don't you. start crying. I know she's gonna I cry. Want, I just want to keep Epic uh, Five alive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You are. And right. she's a great resource too. I mean, Rebecca's incredible because she knows she's, everything from top to bottom. Right. And she'll. And if you're not ready, 
she's going to tell you, I mean, I had somebody that reached out to me that said they want to do Epic Five. And I said, I think you need to do Ultraman. And they did. They did Ultraman Florida. And I'm uh-huh. like, here's the path that I would probably put you on. And she will help you. Like she will, yeah. she will help put you on that trajectory. Yeah. So how many people are currently signed up for this year? Well, we just finished this year. So oh, you just finished. Yeah, oh, okay. we just finished this year. So we're working on next year. We have quite a few events next year. We've got Classic Epic 5, Epic 5 Canada, the 565, which is the 70.3 distance, and the run. Wow. But we're not going to have an Epic 5 in 2020. Oh, you're not? Why not? We're doing the DECA. Oh, oh, yeah. oh my God. So. All right. Are you guys doing that? No. 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 That's the first no I've heard in two hours. I I thought about it, but Uh I need a break. Like I've done... Yeah. yeah. She, no which is, women? Which is, she tried to fish me a couple yeah. weeks ago and she sent me a text. And it was it was really one of those times where it was probably one of the only times I responded back. And she said, do you think this is possible, the schedule? And I said, honestly, no, not for me. Uh-huh. For a, for somebody who finishes an Ironman in nine or 10 hours normally, then yeah. I was like, but for me, that's going to be a pretty big stretch. So DECA meaning 10 Ironmans, how does it break down? Like it's to an island? She said two. island? It's not quite to an island, almost. Okay. It's uh, three islands we're doing two. Three Kauai islands doing, doing two. No. I think we might do three on the big right. island. Right. All right. Well, if people want to learn about that, they can just go to the Epic Five website. No? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. That's, that's a big yeah. invite only. It's just yeah. epi- is it epic5.com? Is that the website? Yeah. All right. So if you lunatics out there want to learn yeah. about that, yeah. like, go you got to have it, a secret you know? handshake for but the don't, yeah. don't blame me. Like I, you know what I mean? All right, you guys. Uh, you are two of the most inspiring women I've ever met. Thank you for Thank coming you. here and sharing your story. I appreciate it. Um, you guys are awesome. Good luck, Mel. Thank you. Ultraman, I will be thinking about you and cheering for you and following from afar. And your race across the rocket, what is it? Race across the west. West, Yeah. So from Oceanside to Durango. Wow. When does that start? Uh, June. Right. Until June. So cool. Yeah. And uh, if you want to learn more about these lovely ladies, the first thing to do is to read Danielle's book, Fear No Distance, which I have not yet. Read, but you brought me a copy here today. So thank Mm -hmm. you. I'm looking forward to checking that out. And um, how else can people find you, follow you, cheer for you, give you a, hey, what's up? High five. So um, Facebook is my name, Melissa Yuri, and my Instagram is at Rangamel. So (laughs) you're going to have to say that in American. (laughs) Rangamel? Like what? Yeah, what is that? So, um, yeah, Ranga is a, well, it's a derogatory word for redheads in Australia. It's uh, actually quite, it's an insult, but a lot of us as redheads take it on and just use it as our nicknames because that's the Australian it. way. Okay. Just embrace it. Um, so it's R-A-N-G-A-M-E-L. And um, I've got a blog, which is rangamel.wordpress.com, which I update once a month, mostly with race reports oh, and cool. other things that I think about to write about. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Um, and I am Danny, D-A-N-I underscore Grable, G-R-A-B-O-L on Instagram and Danielle Grable on Facebook. And I have a website and don't do a good job of updating my blog. Yeah. But if you ever come to Atlanta and you want to ride some mountains, you know, you can you can find me somehow. Right. But <laughs> they have to keep up with you. Right? <laughs> That's the problem. Or and your yes. husband might snipe them. I know. I wish I could <laughs> tell you. In the trees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You never know. He's gonna. He's. You never know where he's. Where he's gonna jump out at. No. He's. 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 He's great to ride with too. If you. Um. Yeah. 
if you uh, if you don't need a pat on the back. <laughs> exactly. Right. If you don't like to be coddled, and you don't want to be told you're yeah. going to be doing a good job, uh-huh. and you want somebody who he's is, your you know, guy. But if you want someone that's going to make you finish, uh-huh. it will be us. And I liked to tell my my last little story here when I was crewing for Chet, who had finished a gazillion races in the whole world. He tried to quit on me, and I picked him up, threw a donut in his hand, and kicked the chair out from under him, and said. No, like if you want somebody to kick the chair out from under you, we're your people. Right. <laughs> and I jest. I mean, he's, he, I'm sure he's the guy who you want on your team who's going to support you and show oh, yeah. up for you 110. Yeah. Like you want to be stuck in a foxhole yeah. with him for sure. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, yep. He's great. I mean, if he is in, he is like all in. Right. For sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, if you guys, are you guys going to get out and train today? We've got a swim to do later. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, awesome. I don't have a swim to do, but I'm yeah, going to do it I'm anyway. driving Danny along for a I'm swim. I'm support <laughs> her swim. Cool. Um, thanks again, you guys. Thank really you. appreciate it. Come back sure. anytime and uh, look forward to crossing paths again soon. Sounds good. Thanks. thanks. Awesome. All right. Those women rock. That was a privilege. What an honor. True inspirations to both of them. Do me a favor. Let them both know what you thought of today's conversation. You can find Mel at... Rangamel, R-A-N-G-A-M-E-L on Instagram. And Danny is at Danny, D-A-N-I underscore Grable, G-R-A-B-O-L on Instagram. Uh, And don't forget to check out Danny's book, Fear No Distance. If you would like to support the work we do here on the podcast, there are a couple simple ways to do just that. Tell your friends about the show. That's it. In conversation, analog, face-to-face, Or you can share it on social media. Take a screen grab of whatever episode that you're listening to and share it on your favorite platform. Hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, anywhere that you enjoy this content. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also support the show on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiolo for behind the scenes production, audio engineering, show notes, interstitial music. He's helping me with writing scripts, all kinds of stuff. So thank you, Jason. Uh, Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for video and editing. Jessica Miranda for graphics. DK for advertiser relationships and theme music, as always, by Analemma. Thank you for the love, you guys. I will see you back here next week with another great episode with entrepreneur, high-performance business coach, Todd Herman. It's a really cool conversation all about his new book, which is called The Alter Ego Effect. Uh, I really look forward to sharing that one with you guys. Until then, may you dream bigger, may you reach higher, and may you love more deeply. Peace.